Hello and welcome to the Back Page Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts. I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. How's it going, Matthew? I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. I'm jet lagged to fuck. And oh shit, yeah. I forgot that you'd been to GDC. Indeed, yes, which was a lot of fun. But I've come back with the blues of remembering that like international travel's really, really good when you've been sat at your desk for three years. It like blow- uh... it blows the cobwebs off. And you know that thing where you go on a trip, a work trip, and you get to kind of know people you didn't previously know and you kind of build those sort of weird press trip style sort of relationships like yeah. that, that are quite pleasant. I had that experience and I was like Oh, I remember what this was like, the old world, you know? It's been pretty uh, good. Yeah. It used to happen all the time. So many weird little temporary friends I've made over the years. Yeah, who like live on in like Twitter, my Twitter follow list and on Facebook, you know what I mean? Even though uh, we haven't spoken for eight years in some cases, you know? It's it's a beautiful thing. So, oh, uh, that's very nice. But now you're just back to miserable <laughs> old bar. <laughs> It's particularly grey in Bath at the moment as well, just to sort of kick me while I'm down. But the uh, the airplane food has gotten particularly bad post-pandemic, I would say. Like, that that almost <laughs> deleted all the good memories of San Francisco, as I was eating, right. like, basically, like, baked turd with potato <laughs> and, like, green beans. Just fucking vile. I mean, they tend to give you an option. That's on you for picking the baked turd. <laughs> What is that? Fish. It's lightly lightly flambéed turd as well. Um, oh, no, it was. There were only two options. I remember they used to do like three. They'd be like, oh yeah, it's beef bourguignon, and it's like just a you know like a bowl of ass, and then like some, <laughs> some kind of chicken curry thing which tastes like worse than a supermarket chicken curry, and then the token vegetarian <laughs> option, which I don't know, just a brick of like you know tofu by itself with no flavor um but now it's two options it's just of ass <laughs> basically yeah it's absolutely disgraceful the flights are so expensive and the food is so shit just to punish you for not being in first class or whatever fucking terrible i do sound very privileged there though because i did get to fly away so you know just so the listeners know i keep that in mind you know i'm yeah i'm sort of like i can't you remember know, the last time i went on a plane do you not? Uh, of course, you didn't go to GDC or anything, did you? Because you're, you know, doing Netflix stuff. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Will you get to go to anything this year? Because you're a bit more uh, game focused. I don't know. I, to, to, you know, maybe. I'd love to. I'd love to travel again with work because it's slightly different. You know, it's everything's taken care of. It's nice. Yeah, Gamescom seems like your sort of speed. It's like you know, it's. Sort of beige meaty food with chips. It's yeah, good, the, th- the problem with Gamescom though is, is everyone gets really excited for like pig bits, for gristly <laughs> pig bits, which manages to combine my two least favourite things, which is pork and gristle. <laughs> um, so, you know, everyone's like, yeah, let's go and eat like the bits, which I would say are like, like punishment, like its feet. Like, why would you want to eat a fucking pig's foot? Oh yeah, where it's like a pork knuckle or whatever, and it's like, oh yeah, it's like it's like sort of like fatty morass, and you're like, should I be eating oh, this? Oh, I know? just <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> well, there you go, um, taking a big swipe at um, a German cuisine there, uh, Matthew Castle. What about the tiny well, no, beers? Like Do you enjoy sa- those? I like I like sa- I like sauerkraut. Yeah, sauerkraut's good. You, you big tiny beer man, they do that, don't they? People are like, oh, they go nuts for the tiny beers. As not a heavy drinker, you know, you can drink a tiny little beer and. It's not as obvious that you're nursing a drink. <laughs> you can drink as one of those small things, and then other people don't sort of question how masculine you are. But, wh- but <laughs> what? It's always nice. <laughs> it's me, the man with no port knuckle and no tiny beard. 
<laughs> but is it like it's like it's what is that thing with british people where they go to germany and they're like oh my god a tiny beer like it's like it's like the beer i normally drink but it's small i can't believe this like what is what is it that goes off in like british people's brains when that happens a kolsch i have a kolsch it's like two euros it's i can't believe how small it is why why is that so novel to people it's just like lager or whatever isn't it <laughs> i don't know but uh yeah anyway. well, that's a little bit on kolsch yeah there you go and now we move on to whatever this episode is what we've been playing um before we get into it matthew should we talk about what we're doing in april because april is basically happening i think around the time this episode goes live <laughs> yeah uh, and we don't quite have a plan for the month yet i do we do know what we're doing for the xl on patreon don't we which is best mario moments we've kind of discussed yeah. that yeah so if anyone who listened to our best Zelda moments episode on Patreon, a very similar deal. And the XXL, Matthew, we haven't talked about this, but I was going to suggest that we do our favourite uh, Guilty Pleasure movies, because I think that might be fun. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good that's a good show. That's good, yeah. Get Cram a bit of Zack Snyder in there, as I want to do. Should be fun. <laughs> I like um, that we've managed to combine episode and episode planning into one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing a meeting in, in the middle of the episode. This is, this is the, the audacity of this. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely going to do Best Games of 2015 in april as well probably towards the Mm -hmm. end of the month um there will be other things too but the key thing for free feed listeners to know is that we will be taking the first week of april off me and matthew have been slightly rammed lately and have decided we need just a tiny pause to slow things down so what we're likely to do is on the free feed uh, next friday the episode going live will be pc gaming classics episode one which is uh, our mini series that we commissioned on Patreon from Jeremy Peel, sometime contributor to the show and obviously excellent freelancer and handsome man Philo Wanyuk. So that um, <laughs> he has he has other qualities, but you know certainly the handsomeness is notable. So yes, so for, for free feed listeners, you'll have something to listen to basically, and then for Patreon folks, still have the uh, the regular Patreon episode. So it'll be one fewer episode in the month, but I think that's fair enough. While we recuperate slightly, Matthew, and form a good yeah. plan for the rest of the year uh, for the Patreon, right? So that's a good idea. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. Tiny little pause there, just while we kind of recover. Um, but uh, this episode is of what we've been playing. It's been a little while since we've done one of these. Very simple. We go back and forth on stuff we've been playing in the old regular podcast format. Um, update people on what we've been playing. Most of, most of the time I've spent recently has been playing Resident Evil 4. I think it has for Matthew too. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's a factor here. But we've got a bunch of stuff we've we've played, like little bits and pieces of that we can talk about. So uh yeah, it should be fun to get into. Uh, what's your sort of gaming life been like lately, Matthew? Mainly Resident Evil 4, because I've been doing it for work stuff too, and just having to sort of mine it and make sure it's really on top of it, also for the podcast. Otherwise, I've been playing little little bits and bobs. I've been replaying some stuff for my top secret project. <laughs> so uh, hopefully I can talk about that soon. And man, are you going to be underwhelmed when you hear it? Oh, I don't think they will be, but the... Um... <laughs> no, no, I... I, I actually like I instantly take that back. It's something that's really, really important to me and like I'm super, super uh, pleased with how it's going so far and I've got some really cool stuff to talk about on the pod. Um, <laughs> oh, I've, I've I've just seen some people kind of like speculating as to what it is and they're you know I think some people think it's much, much bigger that I'm, you know, like I'm not going to be like running Ubisoft or something. <laughs> no, it's not that. <laughs> I, I already ruled out that Matthew wasn't like writing the next, you know, fable or something, just because I, that way I, I don't have to be hyper jealous of him. So yeah. oh yeah, no, it's it's it's. I would never do anything that would that would imbalance <laughs> this podcast and cause a jealousy black hole to absorb it. You would turn so, you would uh, turn down as long opportunities. As you also pledged to this. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. You would turn down opportunities just for the sake of maintaining that careful balance. Um, yeah. No, it is cool though, but it was very funny to see. Was it on uh, Real Muck that uh, people were uh, speculating about it? That was quite, yeah. that was quite fun. No, it, it, it is good. People will like it when they hear about it for sure. I feel like Jeff Keighley once he's kind of like bigged up the Games Awards, and then just before he's like set your expectations there's gonna be like five trailers so like just just bring it down a notch you know <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah so i look forward to talking to about that at a certain point i am also i think i'm about to enter another big games playing phase now that things are Ooh. calming down slightly am i lying there i think i am lying actually things are quite busy still but um certainly what i've been doing lately matthew is because i went to gdc I did get a bunch of time on my Nintendo Switch because my flight there was cancelled, so I had to go a day later, which was fucking hell on earth, I'll be honest with you. And then I got put in one of those low-security prisons that Heathrow, uh, that they call a hotel, and so I just sat in there <laughs> playing like my Switch basically all day. So um, right. that's largely shaped what I've been playing here. But um, yeah, Matthew, do you want to jump into your first game here? Yeah, I've just added one. Oh shit! Okay, um, this is uh, uh, this truly is like the most the the, the least well prepared podcast we've ever made. <laughs> it's a meeting in the middle of the podcast, rambled about fucking airplane food, which is really a hacky bit, isn't it? Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Hit me up. Uh, so uh, last weekend, I've been playing the Diablo Four beta. Wow, that doesn't seem very you. Diablo or Diablo? Diablo. I think either's Diab- fine, right? Uh, I, yeah, I think one's correct. I mean, imagine one's correct. Di- um, diabolical, you'd say, right? So Diabolical. Diablo. I say diabolical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, this is going Diabolical well, plan. Diabol- Diablo 4. That makes more, That makes a lot more sense. That's what we're sticking with. Um, <laughs> we're we're linguists here at this podcast. Yeah. yeah, why did I play this? Because it was free. I thought, I saw lots of people talking about it. I thought... I had played a, a reasonable chunk of Diablo 3. Um, not, like, obsessively. I'm not someone who's, like, playing every season of it. But I, I, I like action RPGs. I like the basic loop of numbers go up, your powers and tricks get ever more violent. And, you know, this is a really good opportunity to play something without necessarily buying it eventually. You know, it's quite a big chunk of the game. It was, like, one of the, I don't know felt like one of one of quarter of the of the world map was sort of open to you with all its respective quests they also had this silly promotion going on where if you reached level 20 in the beta you get a it unlocks like a kind of backpack with a wolf cub inside it in the final game um you hate dogs and, though uh, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> though i always think wolves are kind of like where dogs meet cats <laughs> That okay. Thinking, that's preposterous. <laughs> I always like it. Always takes me a beat to be like wolves, dogs, not cats. I, I, that makes no sense. Like that's... there's something more, but there's something a bit more. Like there's a hint of like majesty to them. <laughs> I, I, I what well, I mean, they're literally from the same like. Species. I know that they're dogs. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm aware of that. But there uh... is there is a there is a quality to the wolf that I cannot put my finger on. That. Uh, in the Venn diagram of like why I like cats and why I like wolves, there is like a fraction more crossover than there is with dogs. Fine, I will allow it. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> there's a wolf cub you can get, and I don't know if I'm even going to play the full game. But once I'd got a certain number of levels, I thought oh, I should probably make it to these twenty levels to to um, get this this cub. Um, so yeah, I ploughed on with a sorcerer, a sorcerer with lightning magic. 
I rather embarrassingly looked up good sorcerer build and let the internet SEO vultures do their thing. <laughs> uh, Eurogamer's Guide advised me to invest in Chained Lightning, and I did that, and then I was off to the races. Good, guide. um, good guides on Eurogamer. Um, yeah, very, yeah, very thorough and just sort of like cleanly written. I like them. I dig them. Mm. Um, yeah, like I think the th- I mean, like. I will say with the West, like I know there are some people who are just like fuck Diablo, fuck, fuck all Activision stuff, and that's that's absolutely fine. I was playing it out of professional curiosity, which is my mealy mouthed excuse. But the one thing I do associate with their games is that they put all this time into them, and they have a kind of ludicrous level of polish. You know, they really do kind of you know double down on everything. It feels like everything is exactly in its place. They've really thought of everything, and. I was probably more intrigued or most intrigued of kind of like, what does that polish look like now in this game? You know, I wanted to see like, is there an instant wow factor? Can I see kind of six years of development or whatever in in this next gen version of um, Diablo? Diablo. Uh, and like, mixed feelings, I'll be honest. I don't know how much you've been following this game, if at all. Uh, I, was there like a version of it that was scrapped at some point and then they sort of started again? Did that happen? Maybe, because they've been doing the mobile version, so I don't know if I sometimes confuse stories about one with the other. Hmm. I haven't been following them, but basically they're, they're, they're kind of like, after 3, which was a little bit more kind of colourful, they're kind of going down the sort of ultra sort of grim dark route. And it's a very sort of sombre, wintry opening act. Like the the area it's set in is set, in, you know, in the kind of snow-capped peaks of the mountains. And because of that, like it's not it's not a particularly like flamboyant place to be, and it's not like an obviously good hang. It it's not a place you go to see like the explosion of like mad powers and magics. It's it's almost kind of. Um, uh, not embarrassed about that stuff, but it's, it's playing all so low key. I, w- I wonder if it's kind of undermining the one of the core sort of pleasures of this series, which is like the wild and silly escalation. You know, this is a game where, like, as everything goes up, the action gets wilder and wilder. But here's this game where you know everything's kind of shrouded in murky mist, and you know it seems to always be night and those two things don't really go together you know i can't really see what chaos i'm unleashing um which seems like a problem um but you know if you kind of get past that there is that like absurd level of detail to it like you know the little physics on all the bodies because of a lot of it's in the snow like everything leaves trails in the snow and when you're dealing with like you know heaps of enemies swarming at you and they're all leaving little trails in the snow or whatever like that that feels quite next gen in terms of like eye for detail that's the kind of stuff i want to see like lots of and i'm hoping that as you go around the map there'll be areas which are like brighter or have like slightly sillier gimmicks which play into that stuff um it's a lot more like open world it's like a big world rather than lots of kind of self-contained regions um so big that you can kind of like need a horse to ride around on it in things like that it's it definitely feels like they're 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 going quite kind of um you know grand open world as everything seems to these days but kind of mixed with their sort of you know action rpg ideas it's um yeah i don't know if it's just a little a little baggy and a little downbeat 
for for what I necessarily want. But then I've seen some people go, brilliant, this is, you know, it's back to its more serious roots after the sillier third game. So maybe maybe this is what the fans want. But for my money, um, I'm unsure. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like, it falls into that blizzard bracket of things that I've never really tuned into because either the universe doesn't quite fit my sensibilities or the gameplay loop is not my sort of thing so it wasn't like a wow a wow player um i have sort of like never quite got the appeal of the diablo loop with the whole like getting better and better loot the only game i've ever really played like that i suppose you could argue the from games has a little bit of that but you know destiny is the obvious one of um getting better and better guns and that was never the part of destiny that really appealed to me anyway Mm. so I don't know, but I was actually quite taken with the visual style of this one. I thought it did look, mm. um, I don't know, I, I don't, just like this, the perspective combined with that visual style was a, is, right. a, is, is a little bit unusual. Um, like you tend yeah. to you tend to see that in a trad third person game, right? That kind of visual style. So it was yeah. an interesting approach, and it looked like a really high fidelity like version of that approach to art style. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's true, and there's there's definitely pleasure in. Like how much interactive scenery there is to shatter, and all the little splinters of wood go everywhere, and they're all physics enabled, and the the little kind of like elements that that, that kind of trick you into thinking this world is alive are really impressive, and I particularly love that sort of like top down world, sort of almost like diorama kind of style, and and seeing that at such high fidelity, particularly in the dungeons where you know you're walking around rooms but they're they're above like great big chasms and you can see like entire kind of forgotten civilizations down in the pit of the gloom and all that kind of stuff like it it's cer- it's certainly pretty i just i just worry if it's taking itself a little bit seriously given mm. that you know the rest of the game is about you know where are you going to stick these these skills to have like a hundred different spells which mad kind of wizard are you going to make and I don't know. I I, th- I think those two things can play better together. Okay, that's that. That is fair enough. I think like a big part of this is I suppose if that like Activision deal goes through, I'll probably play this on Game Pass. But right. if it doesn't, yeah. I wonder if I'll end up picking it up. I guess it depends on what the reviews are like because I feel like it's one of those games where people who like Diablo will tell me it's good because they like Diablo, and so yeah, I, I guess I don't really know where I'll I'll sort of fall on that side of things. But um, it is also cool that there it is like a multi-format game, whereas. The uh, Diablo 3 was started PC only. It had all of the um, auction house that um, weighed down the launch where people were selling in-game items for real money, which was, you know, not well received. Um, They eventually rebooted it, and now you can play it on pretty much everything. So it's quite cool that they're launching it multi-format day one. Um, That makes me more inclined to play it than if it was just locked to PC. Uh, don't know, don't know, but interesting you, t- you checked it out. Now I'll feel deprived if I start my game and I don't have a wolf cub in a backpack. That's I'll sell it to you for a hundred quid. <laughs> in the, in, there's going to be a big wolf cub black market, I'm imagining. <laughs> I Lots have... of shadowy mages meeting up in a tavern and swapping wolf cubs under the table. <laughs> You'd have to sell me your entire Xbox account for like, you know, 900 quid or something. Uh, yeah, okay, so... I will keep that in mind. Um, well done, though, for going out of your comfort zone, though, Matthew. This is not your sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, well, so, I uh... thought, you know, give us give us something to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, Catherine was at GDC, so I just sat in my pants, <laughs> killing skeletons so I could get a virtual wolf cub. That's what happens when you're a wife, guy. You just Your life goes off the rails when your wife <laughs> is gone away for a week, you know? It's just like, yeah, just playing Diablo. <laughs> your 
wolf cub, describing a, a wolf as being like a cat and a dog combined, just, <laughs> or just yeah, t- tough, tough stuff. One um, of my one of my worst podcast takes. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's a very Tuesday evening. We're both knackered. Take, but I didn't. That's enjoy up it. there with fish and chips aren't good, which I still <laughs> back on. Think, what the fuck was I talking about? Of course they're solid. Yeah, I think that's good. There you go. Look at a little update there on um, on a. Well, it's more just. I felt. Uh, anyway, let's not get. I, into I it. think that like I would agree with you on the basis that there's more mediocre fish and chips out there than there is good fish and chips. Yeah. Like that's that is fair. Uh, like people take <laughs> advantage of it being our national food by selling absolutely horseshit versions of it. That I'm with yeah. you on that. Um anyway. Um so my first game, Matthew, you ready for it? Yeah. Oh, I have one more question on Diablo actually. Do you think this will make you buy it? This will make you check it out. I don't know. It 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 did that thing of getting its hooks into you because you get so far in the skill tree and your mind is definitely firing in different directions on like what you could do next if you had another skill point, mm. which is basically what this game kind of hinges on. And I only had time to do one character and there are like five or six different classes and I think I picked one of the more conservative ones. So, you know, the, the, the idea of seeing how everyone else handles and yeah, I don't know. I've got a bad feeling I probably will play quite a lot of this. Mm, okay, yeah, oh, fair enough. Well, uh, I'll, I'll keep up to date on that then. Is it out in like May or something? In May, June, maybe. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, you don't. People don't come to this uh, this podcast for actual information. <laughs> I hope they don't. <laughs> they come to it for wild takes, stabs in the dark. Okay, <laughs> my first game is called. I think it's called Cheer. I think that's how you meant yeah, to say. Yeah, I it. think that's right. Yeah, I've been calling it to Cheer on this podcast because that's how it's written down, and I didn't bother researching that because again, that's what we do on this podcast. We don't research. Uh, <laughs> we just hope for the best. Um, so yes, this <laughs> game is kind of like an open world game based on. It's sort of inspired by this island, this... I think it counts as part of France. It's uh, called New Caledonia. It's uh, right. this this, this um, sort of like archi- archipelago... Arch- oh, I fucking can't say that. Archipelago. Archipelago. Yeah, archipelago, basically. It's my version of Diablo. Um, and so it's kind of inspired <laughs> archipelago by... Archipelago <laughs> 4. It's inspired by the location and the culture of that place. But they do explain at the start of the game that it's not like... It's not directly lifting anything, I think, because they wanted to be sensitive about how they portray the place. But what it kind of amounts to is a sort of like a sort of sunny backdrop open world game that might superficially remind you of something like Wind Waker Mm. and like has quite heavy Zelda influence more generally, it feels like. So I've only played an hour of this, but it's only like six hours long. So in theory, I've played a big Mm. chunk of it already. Um, You play this girl whose uh, dad is kidnapped by this, I think, like a warlord kind of like character. And she basically has like a a whole bunch of these different abilities, which seem kind of spiritual in nature. Um, basically, though, she can like she behaves a lot like uh, Link does in a in Breath of the Wild. Like you can glide in this game, um, you can climb almost any surface, and then you get the little stamina meter comes up. Big Breath of the Wild influence there, which mm. is obviously um, very welcome. I don't mind seeing that in a in a game. Uh, it's big on traversal more generally, so you can like um, paddle this raft around. You can climb to the top of a tree and sort of ping off the tree, and then like use the um, the Ooh, glider yeah. to kind of keep moving really good sort of like momentum based um sort Mm. of like travel and stuff like that and then it has sort of like um kind of combat system too you have like a a sort of slingshot and then there is this um soul jumping mechanic which i haven't actually got to yet because i've just been like um uh, titting around the city basically um just sort of seeing what's seeing what's up and exploring a little bit but yeah it seems like it's uh it's like a 
a sort of like a big mix of different elements but the open world thing seems like the most appealing bit of it to me because um it also weaves in like these musical sequences and other zelda influences you you have like a ukulele in the game and you can like do these uh sort of ocarina style um you know play a few notes and then you can make it midnight basically control time um you know mm-hmm. when what time it is and stuff like that um but i was quite surprised because it starts on this like fairly remote island and then um the sort of intro of the game you actually do sail to this um to like the the main like i suppose like pair of islands or larger sort of island location in the game which is like a i suppose not quite a city but certainly a town like it has big buildings cranes and you know feels very contemporary that sort of thing and so yeah it's 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 quite interesting like the soul jumping thing in this game it's like basically it sounds it seems almost like a kind of prey style um, right. sort of possession of like objects or or beings kind of thing um so mm. you can like become a coconut essentially but you can also become animals <laughs> or things like that um <laughs> it's not quite as sort of like i guess uh sci-fi sort of like body horror as like as it is in prey it's not quite the same thing as that it's meant to be a lot more wholesome but certainly prey feels like the most appropriate comparison point on that but to be honest i feel like this is a game that people will probably play for the sort of sunny vibes of it um it's an Mm. open world game where it doesn't feel it's like got darkness at its heart the story but it doesn't feel super high stakes It, it feels like you're meant to enjoy the act of exploring um, right. and using these different movement options to get around the world. Um, I was very taken with the art style. I think it's one of those games that is probably more expensive than people think it is to make, just because it seems to have quite a lot of real estate to explore. The mechanics feel very well developed. It's not particularly right. bug- it's not particularly buggy or anything like that, even though you can like c- climb across the entire world in that Breath of the World kind of way. What, um, what are you playing it on? PC. Right. So, yeah, I've got a fairly old PC, but it, it runs okay, a little bit of stuttering and cutscenes and stuff. There's, like, times where it becomes sort of borderline quaint, but I kind of, like, um, also can't hold it against it because it's, it's like, you know, it's quite a... <laughs> it's a very specific subject matter they picked to explore here, and if they feel that that evokes the, the sort of, like, cultural atmosphere of what they're trying to capture from new caledonia then that's um fair enough you know i don't Ooh. know i don't know much about it and so uh yeah I, I don't claim to hence me being baffled by seeing the um the french flag when i clicked on the uh <laughs> the wikipedia page just now um right so yeah i, I do like it i don't actually know how meaningful the, the sort of like rafting element is because the bit where i've appeared uh, where i've reached now does seem to be like the largest part of the map so i don't know how much of that actual like rafting you're doing and therefore right, how right. how strong the kind of like wind waker influences but i have i've certainly like i've swam underwater to find a, a couple of bits and pieces and it's just impressive mm. how sort of like the breadth of it really and again i do yeah. yeah i do like the vibes i like the idea of an open world game where you can do the like climbing towers thing to basically scout out new things to go and find but it's presented in in a way that doesn't feel like it's it's trying to mimic those games exactly it feels like quite in keeping with the world and just the, the idea of exploration being the thing as opposed to ticking things off right uh, yeah it's good yeah. um how do you how do you feel when you see breath of the world's mechanics like lifted into other games you good you good with that yeah absolutely i mean i, th- I think the the you know the thrust of this particularly with like the possess anything and and what's exciting about that to me is the you know the open world as like systemic playground which breath of the world definitely did a lot of and obviously this week we saw the preview of um tears of the kingdom where they're really doubling down on like the the 
as you put it, titting about. <laughs> <laughs> we should phrase that better. I'm very tired. <laughs> um, and yeah, so you know, I'm I'm much more interested in people exploring interesting ways to maneuver around a world, interesting things to play with in a world, rather than activities to tick off in a world mm. so yeah by all means like lift lift from zelda you know I, i'm expecting many more things too and it's interesting like there's been some games which have and kind of got it wrong like that immortals phoenix the ubisoft one. Oh yeah 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 it has like the shape of breath of the world in like you can climb up stuff and you can glide but it's also married it to so much ubisoft map ticking that actually you never learn to just like luxuriate in the movement you're always thinking about where you're going to you know you're always thinking about the destination and then the the silly little game you do at the destination where by stripping that stuff out i think it just instantly kind of opens the mind to to being in a place a bit more Mm. so i'm hoping more people like take from that and yeah i I watched someone playing some of this on playstation It, it looked really nice and i think to your point about how polished it is i think it's one of the playstation it's not playstation plus i think it's in the playstation games catalog which is like yeah. a library of games you get if you're part of the plus tiers um and i don't think playstation you know they seem to pick you know cool things to go in that library on launch like if if, if the, it's like a vote of their confidence in it as well yeah it's also like stray i guess was a similar thing yeah, for sure. And they've also they've also teamed with this publisher, Kepler, on other stuff. So they did Seafood was like a PlayStation exclusive. So right. it would suggest they have quite strong ties with that publisher. Yeah, maybe that that's a factor. They were um, they were kind of keen to sort of polish it up. But uh yeah, it's it is good it's it is good on PC. It's only on the Epic Games Store, so um, you know, it's sort of like thankfully Matthew it unlocked on the old Epic Games Press account. So God bless, you know, we're <laughs> always happy about that on this podcast. Um <laughs> so yeah, it's it is cool. I will persist with it. It's only like I say, it's only meant to be six hours long, so happy to pick through it. There's also a like a slight crackdown-ish thing to like oh how do i get up there with some of this stuff so you can see that one of the like highest points you can reach in the game is like a crane um like this really like high which is higher than i think any of the buildings in the game or certainly it's like one of the highest points and you can see a point up there where you can do the old ubisoft tower thing and this the little girl just sort of shouts and then she sort of of go and see stuff don't really know how that works like some kind of like kid sonar i don't know um but yeah but but like you don't entirely get how you're gonna do it because her stamina is not amazing i'm assuming that you can kind of level that up but i also think it's quite funny because like there's one of the first things i did was i climbed at the top of like a coconut tree pinged off of it and then swung like used my glider to get onto this like building site and there's just like a builder stood there as this kid kind of like glides into this like empty building site <laughs> i just wonder like for the perspective of that builder how strange that would be to uh to witness that but it is it is cool it's not like as gentle as you might think from looking at the visuals it does like uh, it does suggest you're dealing with some quite gnarly people and uh yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep digging into it and it has like, so many good reviews like it just feels like a, a bit of a, a bit of a winner from the indie crop this year so far so uh, nice yeah i'll persist matthew um cheer what's your next game uh my next game is i've been playing psvr2 oh yeah very good and uh, getting to good to that yeah i mean it's uh, it's a nice headset i mean it's you know very comfortable very easy to use you know i'm happy with any vr headset that doesn't make me put 
silly cameras or um sensors around my room you know like i i obviously absolutely loved the precision of the whatever it was i played half-life alex with the index yeah the index maybe but like i just found it such a ball like like you just couldn't permanently have that set up in our house because the cats would just pull it down the whole time and like it that just isn't for us so this is this is a very nice yeah middle ground i've been playing i got it uh, we we bought one you see and that's the patreon money thank you very much and uh, got it with Horizon Call of the Mountain. So I've been playing that, which is like their big first party, I guess kind of, you know, Half-Life Alex-esque kind of level of production. Like it's a full campaign. I think it's meant to be about eight hours long. I've played it for a couple of hours so far. Mm. Um, very, very pretty. Like it is a great showcase for, you know, the extra power of PS5 and the fidelity of the headset like the dense the visual density of the world is is very very impressive and um horizon turns out is quite a fun place to set a vr game because it has a lot of things which you're familiar with from the game but when you have that first person perspective it puts things like height and scale in perspective and there's some quite nice moments like when you get the tall mechs walking over you and you know, that is like the brontosauruses in Jurassic Park. It's a bit of a, oh, shit, that thing's pretty tall. Um, and when you see the big dinosaurs, you're like, oh, actually, that's quite frightening to see how big that thing is, which works really well. Uh, I, uh, have you been following this game at all? Are you at all familiar with it? Yeah, so was there like a whole thing about is Aloy too small or something? <laughs> was that a thing that happened what, or was she too well, tall? Yes, yeah, so you, you don't play as Aloy. No, you look at her, though, and she's tiny But you, There's a bit where you meet her and, I don't know, you're like this dude who's presumably taller than her i mean she's not i wouldn't i wasn't like wow she's tiny she's not like massive she's you know she's relatively sort of petite person Mm. i guess um but i wouldn't like i wouldn't say she's abnormally small right fair enough um i did (laughs) actually pay attention to this game though like i did it did look like a really good sort of like killer app for psvr2 like the you know, that's you see the difference between this and say, you know, any Oculus Quest two game, right? Like it's that massive increase in detail and what they're showing you on screen. Yeah. It, looks, it looks cool. And it, it, it does that cool Half Life Alex trick of you know, you have the kind of main thrust of the action, which is what it is and it's all fine. Um, but it also gives you lots of moments where you stop and you're given like weird little toys to sort of fuck around with. So, like, you know, you'll, you'll often get to little little kind of empty campfire clearings and, you know, someone will have left a tambourine or whatever. So you pick up the tambourine and you kind of bang that for a bit. You know, or you might find some maracas. So you pick up the maracas and you start shaking those. And there's a bit, I went into a cave and there were a load of, like, finger paints and then you could paint, like, a, you know, a mural on the wall. It kind of gets that, like, people like to fuck about in these worlds. Um and it also just doubles as like a very good tech demo for like the precision of the handsets and things like that. And that's all that's all very impressive, you know, to, to my mind about as sharp as any VR thing I've played. So all, all very good. Um, the campaign itself is kind of interesting. There's, it's like a lot of it's about climbing, which I guess there are climbing VR games quite mm. famously. There's those ones where you're like you know climbing up skyscrapers and you have to like leap for things and do grips and that's all fine but it's like physically very exerting <laughs> and i worry that i'm just too unfit to survive in this vr world um there's a lot of heaving myself up vines 
and like readjusting myself so I can stretch up to the next thing and you can like pull the controllers towards you to kind of like hurl yourself across gaps and then pull out a pickaxe and dig it into the rock at the last moment to kind of like you know save yourself from the drop and um that that stuff's like really cool in short bursts there is quite a lot of it though like i'd say the game's probably 80 percent climbing to anything else Mm. and maybe that's masking like lots of loading screens or it's keeping you to a very linear path which is then how it does these amazing visuals because whenever you're climbing like if you look away or look down you know it does look amazing like it really looks like you're hanging above these like massive waterfalls or whatever it's just that the physical act of climbing means this isn't a game like i could maybe play for a couple of hours like i could with half-life alex i felt like half-life alex central mechanic which was these gloves that you could sort of telekinetically pull things towards was like valve very cleverly looking at how tired people get and going well let's give you this empowering device which lets you bring everything to you so you don't have to move around as much where this one is very much gone the other way and gone well moving is the thing so you're going to do lots of climbing but yeah it's you know between that climbing you get to fight all the iconic monsters and they look great i mean visually like this this is the super super impressive and um the bow and arrows you know it's really really tactile and there's lots of fun stuff where you can kind of like equip all the different arrows and you can make different elemental arrows by sort of slotting different things into them and it's it's yeah like definitely a technical showcase and i can fully appreciate why they bundled this in and and made it the pack-in game um if you buy like the special i think you have to it, it doesn't come free per se you pay a bit more for that box set but um yeah like i just don't know i feel like i'm gonna be absolutely like ripped by the end of this um but <laughs> from know, eight hours that's... eight hours of one vr game <laughs> <laughs> I, well there's there's a lot of i am just too old for some vr games um like i've also been playing a bit of pistol whip mm. which is like in that a little bit like beat saber i guess except you're, you're like running down this sort of like corridor you're permanently walking forward down this corridor shooting people and and like the gimmick is if you shoot people on the beat of the music you get more points but they also shoot at you so you have to like dodge out the way of these sort of slow moving bullets kind of neo in the matrix style but then there are also kind of pillars you have to sidestep and like low ledges you have to duck under and it's the ducking that gets me like my body just does not hinge in the middle the way it used to <laughs> and like when i whenever i I've, i see lots of crouching come up I'll, i feel myself like doubling over one hand will be resting on my knee like an old man taking a rest while the other hand's got a gun and it's like you never see John Wick resting on one knee (laughs) and like shooting loads of dudes but that's what it looks like it's just I I have such powerful like I'm too old for this shit energy in these (laughs) scenes and the music's like pulsing and the, the whole vibe of the game is like fuck yeah you're fucking John Wick this is amazing you're so good at killing and here I am bent over just trying to catch my breath going oh i'm gonna have to bend over again in like 30 <laughs> seconds so i may as well stay down here um bigger uh, jonah hill in 21 jump street kind of energy you know right yeah absolutely so yeah like that's a side of vr i wasn't really prepared for i mm. like the ones where i could, if it says at the start like this has got a sitting mode i'm like absolutely strap in <laughs> um that's what i want but yeah jo- anything which standing up no chance. Do you think John Wick uh, would have worked as well as a film franchise if he sat down a lot, Matthew, during those gunfights? <laughs> so that would have been as good. Um, I mean, he's getting that way. He's pretty old now, isn't he, Keanu Reeves? He is, but he, unlike us, he can sort of like, you know, 
crouch like he can do that you know what i mean that's they'll come a they'll come a time where yeah. he's like everyone's like it's weird how they contrive for him to be in a lot of chairs in this, in this film <laughs> in john wick six yeah <laughs> yeah i can sort of see that i've had pistol whip for a long time actually and not played it because um it was recommended by um uh pod disciple liam richardson so yeah, yeah. keep meaning to play it, that one it, it's rad like the whole shoot on the beat thing means you naturally choreograph yourself to the music which is probably where the kind of sort of john wick film choreography vibe comes from because mm. you just feel so like in sync with that world and um it's i tell you what though the bullets are really frightening flying towards your face and when they hit you on psvr2 anyway it's got quite um uh, vicious rumble in the headset like right, haptic right. feedback and when you take one of those bullets to the face like i really don't like it um and they come at you and, and often it shakes me enough that i'll then take another bullet to the face and that's the sad reality of like me and one of the john wick film i mean let's not pretend i would ever have done well in a john wick film but <laughs> i would just get shot in the face and then staggered and then just shot in the face over and over again um it would be a very unsatisfying death for me. You'd be like the tutorial for the actual John Wick. You know what I mean? He'd just like <laughs> yeah. he'd just shoot you up. Um, yeah. Kill this, kill this thirty-seven-year-old guy. <laughs> I gotta say, John it has Wick. one thing about this. I'm not actually like I don't. The thing with any VR headset, right, and buying them is like, what does long-term support look like? I hope it's yeah. like I hope it's like long-term. I hope there's more stuff. I hope they port more of their PS4 stuff to it, um, just because they they built a pretty cool library there of, of things to, yeah. to put on there. But I will say that like. I do like that from the off, they've got a bunch of the VR standards just ready to go. So there is this like quite beefy library of stuff you can just play straight away. Um, and even if some yeah. of it might be familiar to you, um, some of it's presented in enhanced form. I know they did that Tales from Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars one, right? They've um, yeah. given that like a shot in the arm. That is a very, a very well liked VR experience on other platforms. Mm. So um, it is cool that if you if this was your first VR experience, I imagine you'd be quite excited by all of this um like it, mm. do, it does seem like quite a, a package of stuff um was there anything mm. else you wanted to draw attention to from this matthew um yeah i mean the only other thing i've been playing i guess is um i've been playing a few more games let's uh let's come back to psvr2 and uh, hear one of your picks sounds good matthew so i've been playing resident evil remake on uh, Nintendo Switch, actually. So this is obviously the GameCube 2002 version a remake of the 1996 original. Very much inspired by playing Resident Evil 4 and uh, thinking, well, I need to just... Um, one day I need to go back and play all these fucking Resi games. Like That's that's like a good use of my time on this planet, I've decided. So... Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah... You, 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 you went back to this, even though it's part of the losing Capcom draft selection. <laughs> well, that was it. I just It was a bit of a like the perverse pleasure of like um, enjoying your defeat. You know what I mean? There's a bit You're of that tea to Teabagging. Teabagging <laughs> my collection of games. What a terrible image that is for this podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway, yes. So... Um, Never finished this. Never really played too much of it. I've always played more of the 1996 one than this, and I never had a GameCube, mm. so I always like fondly looked at this and thought, "How fucking good do those sharks look? I've got to play this one day." And here, <laughs> and here we are, 22 years later, or 21 years later rather, and uh, I am doing it. So I thought it'd be an interesting challenge if, like, on my 10-hour um, flight to San Francisco, I tried to play as much of this as possible without a guide. Um, mm. Because obviously, you know, this the early Resident Evil games have a lot of puzzles, a lot of like keys to find and doors to unlock and things to work out. Um, and it kind of made me realise like how open the design is of this game. Like it is, it lets you go in so many doors almost right away. 
but mm. it gives you no signposting on how to like solve anything. It just lets you figure things out by experimentation, um, mm. and that that is just actually like that's actually really refreshing and exciting. If your modern experience with games is more handholdy action type experiences where you feel like you're eased in by design, this was from an age where they didn't do that, where they dropped you in and said good luck you know what i mean um mm. here's, here's some handgun bullets and uh, here's like a herb or whatever and then get on with it and it was i played this for, i reckon like three hours and i just endlessly circled the mansion looking for like keys and ways to progress um i had all of the different cool resi remake experiences like i um i've the, one of the, i had one of the crimson head zombies run after me that was like that ruled. That was great. Um, <laughs> I got into the whole like um, burning a, burning the bodies um, once and for all, so they can't come back, and then like strategically picking those throughout the mansion. Classic. Um, I got the shotgun before you um, before that door breaks behind you because the handle's like ru- uh, like fucked up or whatever. I did oh, all yeah. that stuff, um, and then I did the and I and I died when I um, picked up that um, uh, the sort of like key thing from that floor and that and that spike trap comes behind you with all those statues oh, um yeah, yeah. all of that stuff was like rad to experience fresh without knowing exactly mm-hmm. how to solve it so um i'm going to persist with this and get to the end of it because i think that would be like a worthwhile thing to have done this year mm. um it's really really good and weirdly even though i played a whole bunch of the 1996 one it seems slightly different like it doesn't seem to play out in exactly the same way i can't like right. i can't work out if i've just like messed up some of the intro bits but i've definitely been making progress of the puzzles and like um getting into different rooms and stuff but can't work out exactly if i've missed something that i remember very specific that i remember from the original or if this game is like slightly different or it remixes elements of it i don't I really think know Matthew. it does yeah. yeah i think there is a little bit of remixing yeah because i feel like the whole playing a piano thing at the start i feel like i I can't work out where that room is and where that piano is, which is weird. Like maybe I've just like made a complete blunder there and missed it. But it seems like it's it's slightly remixed. I was making progress in the ninety six one a bit faster than I am here. But um very much enjoying that experience, Matthew. Have you have you gone back to this at all since you first played it? Not in a long time. Um I think I had a little look at it when the H D version first turned up on like Xbox One, but even that would have been like seven eight years ago now so um Hmm. no does it hold up visually does it still look lovely yeah i think so um i think like the one thing you sort of wish is that the they'd saved like or they made high-res versions of the original backgrounds and then kept those or and put those in like it feels like they are they are just what they had on file as opposed to maybe there was some crisper edition of those backgrounds they boiled down for it because they're so nice and ornate, like even compared to. I think Resi 1996 is actually a very nice looking game for the time. But mm. the pre rendered backgrounds in this are just so, so gorgeous. Um, it, mm. and it's also that where you see like candle lights kind of like flickering back and forth and that level of detail. But also, I think that the um, even though the voice acting is not sort of like necessarily up to our modern standards, it's so much better than the 1996 voice acting, obviously. Um, mm. And the writing is that it feels like. It feels much more in line with what I would term recent resi, I guess, in terms of tones. So I think you can definitely still play this, go like one, two, three, four, five, six, and feel like it it links together. It doesn't feel like it's aged so much that it doesn't connect to the more recent remakes they've done. Um, mm. So yeah, it's it's really rad actually. The one thing I just wish that 
um, I could change on Switch. And maybe this would ruin the experience is just skipping the door animations rather than having to sit through them every time, just because uh. that definitely gets on my nerves. I can't tell if that is just hardwired into the original game or if it's just like a Nintendo Switch loading issue. Um, who knows? Maybe it's a bit of both. But yeah, that's good, Matthew. Resi Remake. Uh. Not, uh, to the to the you know the surprise of no one, a uh, 21-year-old game that everyone said was great is great. So yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and yet they still voted against it. <laughs> the motherfuckers. Oh dear. That, that draft, we never talked about that draft, did we? I mm-hmm. I think that you did actually have some more interesting picks than me. I was a bit like, I was actually slightly unsatisfied with my list in the end. I had too many survival horror games. I won it slightly. <laughs> I think I won it because I had Resi 4. I think that's why I won it. Yeah. But I really felt jealous that I didn't have Akami and Beautiful Joe. I wanted those games so much and you got them. And I thought, well done, Matthew. He did He did well there. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did I know you feel people about that? think I biffed it with Glass Rose, and I also saw some people dunking on um, um, Chronicles of Mistara, even though that is a good ass game. Anyone who actually knows what they're fucking talking about knows that that's a good game. Darren, so, Darren from Retro Gamer said it was a good pick, Matthew. So, yeah, there you, know. you go. You see, that is that's really that's all that 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 counts as a win. <laughs> <laughs> we should just let uh, since they're closing polls on Twitter, we should, from now on we should just send our list to Darren. He can tell us who picked the best games. <laughs> That'll be who wins the draft. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's fine. You know, I know how it is. I feel like we were both very heavily invested in our own lists. And we were both quite tetchy with people who were uh, <laughs> less than uh, enthusiastic about our lists. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember why I got so invested in it, really. I think I was bummed out that straight away you had this massive lead on Twitter, the Twitter poll. And then that lead slowly frittered away. Do you have any theories as to why that happened? It's uh, quite strange. I think, like, maybe the people who jump on it fast, like the most sort of, like, passionate listeners... Uh, maybe more invested in like the drama of the draft and like upsetting one of us um and then like all the people all the more rational listeners come in later and balance it out how it to what the result should be yeah um so like everyone gets a rise out of gets a rise out of you early on uh and it worked uh and uh but then justice was served. So well, well for you in well, your eyes, maybe. <laughs> well, actually, I don't. That's not how I feel though, because I, like I say, I think that your the color of your list was better than mine. But I just had yeah. I just had better big hitters than you. Yeah. Um. That's all. And like, there was no hiding the fact that I I lost in the Western ill-advised Western spin-off category when you got DMC. That was tough. Yeah. Um, you had Ace Attorney as well. Like I, you know. Yeah, it was a, bit a, 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 a little part of me was sad that I had no. Uh, no Phoenix right in my list at all, but I just I just couldn't. You you nobbled me on that. So <laughs> I think you still could have just picked another Phoenix right, and it would have. Been oh, okay, it but... would have been unsatisfying. Yeah, if you'd maybe. done that, I would have talked it down. So, <laughs> and I probably would have done the same. So yeah, the, yeah, the, exactly. drafts, con- the drafts continue to expose us at our pettiest. I think on some <laughs> level as well, I think I'm just like a bit less likable than you, and so maybe that makes it. Uh, like I think that's I come across because as... people. That's because people don't know me. <laughs> I'm a real grade A shit. <laughs> Well, we both are. That's why, you know, we're making a great pair of this podcast. Um, no, I, I was, I, but as ever with the draft, I'm always really flattered when people vote in them. So uh, do mm. another one like a couple of months. What do you reckon? Um, yeah, if we can find a voting mechanism that isn't Twitter. OK, Matthew, we come to your final little cropper games. Some more PSVR yeah, 2 stuff, Yeah, a couple right? here. A couple more PSVR 2. Sorry to endlessly bang the VR drum. Um, I've been playing Tetris Effect, which I haven't played in VR before. So it's Tetris Effect, 
you know, you're playing Tetris, except it's weird sort of audio-visual kind of dreamscape that plays out around the board. You're obviously sort of fully sort of enveloped in that. You know, you're kind of locked in and it all kind of floats in front of you. I mean... I, I love this this game as 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 this audiovisual experience anyway, and you know uh, any peripheral which kind of closes out more of the world around you and just puts you in that space is is bound to work. Um, it just yeah, it's just a, a really beautiful thing, and I imagine this was also great on PSVR, but like playing on a newer headset with like better resolution and darker blacks. Uh, on the screen uh it, you know it just really really pops very very satisfying you're a big tetris effect guy oh yeah i fucking love it it's probably the vip uh sorry it's probably the oculus quest 2 game i've played the most yeah um, i think it's just like i love it as a sort of vr standard you know like it's yeah it's it's as fundamental to the vr i think as like mario 64 is to the n64 like i think you just right I, yeah it, it like it illustrates to you the simplicity of the kind of games you can make in it, but what you can do with the effects of VR to enhance the experience. Like, it's yeah. it's that good, you know? Yeah. So I've been bopping my head to that. I always think I must look like a maniac to Catherine <laughs> when she watches me play these things. Um, not that I force her to watch me to play PSVR 2 or anything. That would be weird. Thanks, Clarify. Um, the other game I've tried out is Pavlov, which I don't know if you're familiar with this one. No. It's... it's 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 an online shooter, but its big sort of selling point is it's got a lot of very accurately modelled guns, and you have to reload them in kind of like almost sort of pornographic detail. Um, and it so it really simulates them. Which it, this seems to be one which appears on a lot of like best of PSVR two lists, mm. and like of the launch games anyway. Lots of people seem to be really into it actually made me feel a little like uncomfortable and i don't mean this to you know sound like some sort of like uh absolute caricature of a of a lefty sort of liberal liberal softy <laughs> um but there is uh, something sour about the you know a wall of accurately modeled guns that you hold and you can really like look at them you can't feel the weight of it in your hands obviously it's not it's not that magic vr but you can really look at them and sort of sort of caress them and pull you know like the revolver you can open the chamber and you load in each bullet like one by one and then you flick your wrist to flick the chamber in and and it's 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 like a weird crossing of the line from what you think would be kind of cool because you can do it like the movies and when you actually have the kind of reality of it I don't know, it's kind of something a little too hard-edged and real about it for my liking. Um, there's something about the accuracy of, like, moving your hand and putting a gun to someone's head and shooting them in the head that feels definitely visceral, very, you know, completely successful in what they're trying to achieve. But, um, yeah, I th- you know, I think I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, just too soft or something like this. You can shoot yourself in the head with these guns, mm. which is quite quite a thing to do in a game. Because <laughs> I, I I was like, it's so accurate, the modelling, like where the gun is in the world, uh, that I was like, oh, I wonder if that would happen. And it did, and I was actually quite shocked by it. Like, I disturbed myself <laughs> by killing myself in a game. Um, so, yeah, but... <laughs> Some people seem to really love this game online. I mean, it's it's certainly like 
the most hard-edged and like adult VR game on PSVR 2. But like, I think I prefer the kind of like light gun silliness, the kind of one step removed. It's just too, it's too accurate. It, it like, it's, you know, it's like Call of Duty, except it really is, it really feels like you in the game. It's, it's quite a, quite a strange experience, mm. but I don't know. I imagine a load of listeners are rolling their eyes at that, but, um. No, you know, it's like, it's, uh, I don't know. This stuff is, you know, it's like your perception of it's very different when you live in the UK to maybe the US where, uh, you know, like I just when I was in San Francisco, there's some cops came in to have breakfast when I was sat having like my fucking steak and eggs, and they just all had guns. They just walked past me, I just saw their holsters with guns, and I was like, I just have to like calib- recalibrate my brain to how weird, right. weird this country is. It's like they are prepared to shoot people at literally any time, and how fucking yeah. weird that is. I don't know. I just it just it puts you in those locations when you're doing an online deathmatch. You know, you're creeping down a corridor. You've got a wavering gun in your hand, and you're like, "Well, if someone comes around the corner, I'm going to point this at them and hope for the best." Which is probably how it would work out in a, if I was in a real gunfight, and someone else comes around, and they're obviously a bit better at the game, and they just, you know, put a gun to your head and shoot you, and it's there's a violent like shake of the headset, and it's it's uh yeah, I know, it's just it's too scary for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I think there's some version of this that might be on quest but not quite the same i think that it's quite a high-end visually kind of game isn't yeah, it? yeah so. and like really i mean it is like the craftsmanship of it no doubt like these guns they look amazing the way it uses like the adaptive triggers mm. on on because it's you know the the psvr2 sort of sense controllers have the same triggers that the the dual sense controller has right right so it's got like resistance and things so like you know when a gun's empty the trigger feels very different but like you know when you squeeze like a you know uh, semi-machine gun it, like the rattle of it feels very different to like the bang of a revolver um the one thing that is quite funny is like because you have to be very careful and accurate with the reloading hmm. panicking in the middle of a gunfight and like i was crouched in a room and i had this stupid revolver and in my head you think you're revolver ocelot right because you're <laughs> like oh yeah i'm gonna be like swish 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 just like clint eastwood and in truth, you've got the thing open. And I was bringing up bullets, but I was so panicked. I wasn't putting them in the chamber. I was letting go of them and just flinging bullets around the room, like <laughs> over the top of the gun. And then when I had put six in the chamber, I tilted the gun back too much and they all fell out the holes again. Because um, <laughs> it's all physics sort of reactive like that. Um, which, like, in in a, in a certain game experience, I'd be able to admire that how ludicrous that situation is. But then I got like someone fired like a fucking AK forty seven into my, into my head for a minute. So you know it, the kind of fun of it went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were kind of like role playing as um, MGS three Ocelot before like Snake kicks the shit out of him at the start. That was you basically. Just yeah, like... I'm hoping that people will take it easy on me if I go wow when they come into a room, but instead they just fire a shotgun at both my knees. So. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, even though it does sound like a bit you know contentious in terms of content there's something very like appealing about like i'd like to try it just see what it's like right so, yeah, I, yeah. I, i've been talking about it at the office and saying like oh i was actually a little disturbed by it and then everyone's reaction is oh i might give that a go at lunch <laughs> <laughs> and you're like okay well i, I did i did don't say i didn't warn you 
<laughs> yeah, one thing is I've never actually tried. I've got the cable for it, but I've never tried plugging my um, my Quest into my PC. And so I just, it does sound, a, uh, there's something nice about having it all in one plugged into your TV like that. That does sound kind of appealing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Interesting. What fun little VR adventures you had. Anything else? Yeah, Matthew? very. D- yeah. Te- Tetris Effect and Pavlov could not be more different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, like if you've never played in VR before, both of them are like something you've yeah. never something you've never experienced before if you're only used sure. to non-VR games. So I like the yeah. Tetris is where you go to like recover from the horror of Pavlov. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I'm just saying, I'm thinking, what if I shot myself in the head? That's how <laughs> what would that feel like? Uh, yeah, very good, Matthew. Um, so we do my last game here, and then yeah, we'll jump into it. some questions. So, uh, so Celeste is my last game. An indie darling game uh, by uh, Maddie Thorson, who I think made... What was that game everyone got obsessed with? Towerfall Ascension? Yeah. So um, basically like a a sort of a platforming game with a little bit... In fact, it is entirely a platforming game. It's about navigating these environments using like a, a jump and kind of like a boost move, essentially. I don't think there's much more to it than that. But um, the premise of the game is you're climbing this mountain and there are mysteries involving the main character and also the other characters you meet that you untangle as you go is quite a strong narrative element to this but it is at its heart i think um a fundamentally sort of like hardcore platforming game um and i'm playing it because i i I really want us to do another nintendo switch wall of fame this year and Mm. this seems like a game that is is one of the indie games synonymous with switch i think that's probably fair to say isn't it matthew even though i know you can put anywhere but um Feels yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd say it's yeah for sure. Yeah, so it feels very at home on on uh, on a handheld. Um, so yeah, very much enjoying it, and thought I actually kind of assumed some things about the game that weren't true, which is I assumed it would be too hard for me to play. Um, but the thing it does that's really smart is that you basically there are optional items to collect in the game, strawberries, and to collect those you need like absolutely ridiculous dexterity and skill to get those. But if you just play the sort of like most basic version of the level, anyone can do it, but it still requires a bit of skill. I think that's really nicely stacked. I think it's got also some quite detailed like um, difficulty sliders you can change if you want uh, your character to jump faster, further or or whatever. I didn't mess with those, so I want to you know, get through the default experience. But um, really like it as a kind of setup and platforming experience. Really didn't think it'd be my sort of thing, but uh, I just sat and played um, through the first four levels, which is not it's not a short period of time to do that um really impressed by it and kind of curious about where the narrative's going it's not the real reason i'm hooked in but i certainly love how it looks uh sounds and feels you play this one matthew um yeah i've I've never fully finished it i must admit yeah so uh, um you know the, the, the full extent of it but yeah i mean yeah great feeling thing um yeah not very sophisticated <laughs> no it's got like I, I think it's got what you would consider like a good jump by your high standards um got, yeah. like, i think generally the navigation mechanics are just really really well judged they are you know they don't they don't fuck you about they're not too tricky they but they give you loads of flexibility in how you get through an environment um different levels have different twists for you to keep in mind as well um there's usually some kind of chase or action sequence in them um so it's not a totally sort of like passive experience it it can get quite tense and quite hard and then it starts to have like a a tiny bit of a kind of trials hd quality about it just because Mm. it saves 
when you move off of, from one screen to another um but sometimes the screen you're on can last for quite a long time um mm. and so it's yeah it's it's really nicely done i it's because everyone said it was and so yeah i will i will complete it and then in the sum, summer we will do um the Nintendo Switch Hall of Fame Volume 2, and uh, I'll probably put that in there, Matthew. So, uh, spoiler alert for a future episode, basically. Oh. Indeed. Okay, so that's Celeste. Um, I'll but... be putting in Pavlov. <laughs> Pavlov on Switch, running at 10 frames per second. <laughs> <laughs> you have to strap the Switch to your face to create a kind of like um, bespoke oh VR headset. God. Just feeling the rumble of the Joy-Con as you blow your brains out. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> Labo uh, Pavlov, Matthew. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Labo, or it's called. Cool. Um, yeah. Do you think that? Oh. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a little cardboard gun. That would be so bleak. <laughs> Being in that environment, in that little cardboard prison, it's just, <laughs> I can't think of anything worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, also the idea of like a game like Pavlov ever ending up on a Nintendo platform, I suppose in theory it could, right? But uh, yeah. it's just that you just always can't picture it. Imagine going onto that like little sales tab and you're like, yep, fucking Phantom Doctrine's one pound again. And then like, yep, here's Resident Evil 4 again. And then here's, here's Mario Party and here's Pavlov. Like just <laughs> that is a kind of collection of stuff. Uh, ridiculous. <laughs> Matthew, we've got a bunch of questions here. You have curated them this month. Thanks for doing that. Let's take a break and we'll come back with the questions. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got a bunch of listener questions here. Been a while since we've been through these, so thank you very much. If you'd like to submit questions to the podcast, backpagegames at gmail.com, you can email us. And also on the Discord, which is linked in our on Twitter at, um, at uh, BackpagePod on Twitter, you can click on the Discord. There's a pod questions uh, channel you can drop your questions into, which is where most of these come from. So, Matthew, kick us off with the first question. Uh, this is from Koig on Discord. Question completely stolen from the Min Max pod. Big fans of Min Max here. You have the choice to risk it, which means make a sequel, mix it, which is remake or remaster, or nix it, which means kill forever. Oh, you can tell this comes from a podcast of class with those uh, with those cool little rhyming names. Risk it, mix it, or nix it for these following games that never saw a sequel. So, which one do you choose? There's a list of games, and you have to pick a game to to risk it, mix it, or nix it. Oh, and the games are Days Gone, Diddy Kong Racing, L.A. Noir, Eternal Darkness, Enslaved, Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance, Sunset Overdrive. An alpha protocol. Wow. So you, so you can make a sequel to one, you can remake one, and there's one that you can kill off forever. That's good. We should do something like this for our pod, like some kind oh, of multiple yeah. choice thing where we go through like a whole list of games and then do this kind of like, basically, it's basically like uh, marry, kill, avoid or whatever, isn't it? So Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that's what that game's called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, outing myself as a psychopath there um okay good so yeah okay first up then days gone so i guess we'll both answer this in tandem right i think i think we can nix days gone forever personally like this you don't need to remaster it because it's it like runs really nicely i don't think the game is quite as bad as people say it is i think it's actually like all right it's a sort of stealth action experience and like with with some motorbike stuff and i hear it gets particularly good in its end game but at the same time 
there was just so much kind of weird like discussion around this game from the that mm. main developer dude afterwards. I just bad vibes. Bad vibes. Yeah, they've gone on to make something else that developer, and a bunch of them are still there. So I wish them well in that project. But I don't mm. think um, I don't think there needs to be a Days Gone sequel as such. I think uh, yeah, it seems like it's that get one game has done everything it needs to do. Your thoughts, Matthew? Yeah. Uh no, basically basic agreement. Um, and you're right. The the PS5 frame rate update basically does feel like a remaster. So yeah, nice second game. So nix it. Um, Diddy Kong Racing. Uh, nix. <laughs> never really played this, but I'm not desperate for like I don't. Uh, I, I don't. Bad. <laughs> I had a friend who like really loved this and said it was better than uh, Mario Kart 64, no. but uh, I didn't trust him on anything else. Matthew is That's the wrong. big Nintendo brain, so Nix it is okay. It's Nixed. Nixed it. Fuck Diddy Kong Racing, especially for Whizpig, one of the worst bosses of all time. <laughs> Awful. L.A. Noir uh, definitely risk it, make a sequel. Like, oh yeah, a- any any day you could set it in the 70s or like you know just like the modern day even, and it would still be absolutely rad. I. Fucking adore mm. it. Um, don't need to remake it or remaster it. Like it still looks pretty nice when you play it now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, Eternal Darkness. That's a good one for mix it a remake or remaster. In my opinion, Matthew, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say no to a sequel. Like I like this approach of like lots of different characters across history. But like this is a quite a perfect sort of encapsulation of that idea. So yeah, maybe a shinier version you know do a pass on all the mad sort of insanity effects and things yeah yeah i'd be curious to know what that would look like if you did it now because a lot oh, of the stuff you'd have to be very careful <laughs> well yeah yeah a big thing at the time was that like they were messing with the sort of crt era of like yeah. tv stuff right so yeah um which obviously kojima loved and that's how he, they ended up making um the twin snakes so mm. but even kojima doesn't really do that kind of stuff as much now so you know, it yeah, it would it would there's there's some work to be done there, I think, um, either on a sequel or remaster to make it more up to date. Um Enslaved. I did like Enslaved. I'd probably go with Mix It though. I don't really think a sequel needs to be made, but it was like it was a cool sort of like I guess precursor to The Last of Us, two characters going through an environment, puzzles, combat, um, except it was kind of like obviously much more sort of heightened sci-fi setting. Looked nice, looked really nice at the time. I think it would look even nicer with a kind of modern remake, but I, I didn't adore it. I thought it was like a, a good seven, basically. Mm. Thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, I could probably nix it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, like, ever, I, you play it's the fine. Yeah, it's fine. I get it, like, I don't, I don't really want to revisit it. Um, mm. I just felt like all the talk about it was the the celebrity talent or Alex Garland's involvement as a writer, which always fills me with dread. If the most, you know, that that stuff should be like the cladding around something else in my mind. But <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. Next, okay, <laughs> and in uh... the bin with Diddy Kong Racing. <laughs> Monkey can enjoy hanging out with um, Tip Top or Pipsy or those <laughs> awful characters from that game. Yeah, very good. Uh, okay, right. <laughs> it's a mix it from me though, dog. Um, Metal yep. Gear Rising Revengeance. I don't really like this game that much, but I would go with a risk it because I think there's still much more you could do with like Raiden yeah. fighting people in Metal, the Metal Gear universe. What do you think, Matthew? Yeah. yeah, make a sequel. This time, have a good end boss. Um, that's what you need to do. Yeah, have flashbacks as well. Like the first thing you should do in this game should be fighting Vamp in Metal Gear Solid Four. Oh like, my god, that's such a good shout! Like, what the fuck are we doing? You know what I mean? We just sat there on the table. Instead, I got to listen to some senator delivering some meme bullshit that I still have to hear about ten years later, even though it wasn't that witty or clever. Anyway, one one flashback should be the whole of Metal Gear Solid Two that you replay in the <laughs> middle of this game. 
so yeah, risk it on that one. Um, Sunset Overdrive kind of doesn't need a mix it because you can play it on PC and it still looks pretty great. Um, probably a good one for a sequel. Risk it. But yeah. then you kind of got Spider-Man. Like, Insomniac are doing superhero E stuff, even if it's not exactly the same, Matthew. What do yeah. you reckon? The core, like, arena shooting in this is unlike anything else. And mm. the way it kind of builds up and goes goes really crazy. I'd, I've, I'd, I'd risk it. Yeah, okay. I agree. Uh, finally, then, Alpha Protocol. Um, it's a big nixit from me, dog. For the, for the yeah. real reason that, like, I think it being this sort of, like, slightly weird six out of ten game that is slightly inaccessible by to, to people now suits it quite well <laughs> yeah i think you should have to go out of your way to get this much like the old mgs4 on ps3 thing <laughs> yeah. like it's you just if you if you can't access it you're never supposed to you know what i mean <laughs> yeah 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 well, this this should only ever come up in in slightly boring blog posts from <laughs> um, 40 year old games journalists <laughs> Oh, what a swipe there at Matthew's entire generation of writers. <laughs> okay, uh, next one. Um, this is from Welsh Boy Mick. Different question. There are no more Nick Sittle Mixits here. Um, the year is 2026. Sadly, Bath is only left with a cursed Weatherspoon. So that'll be fucking next year at this rate. You therefore <laughs> decide to open your own pub using the sweet Patreon money. The pod has 70,000 subs at this stage, and you have a large amount of savings. What's the pub called? What's your main clientele? What three arcade machines do you have? What video game characters work there? Um, Bath is definitely running low on good pubs. Um, two of my favourites shut recently, actually. Uh, like Chapter One shut. I really love that pub. Um, and we're down to like the basically like the Green King IPA chains or whatever. It's a tough one, Matthew. Um, do you have answers to this? My pub named after my pistol whip time would be called the Hunched Wick. <laughs> Very good. That's that's good for a Bath pub. Oh, you see, I don't know if I'd even have arcade machines in mine. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it sets the tone of the place that you've got. That's by doing the thing. That. It's yeah, I don't want to track the wrong clientele, which <laughs> arcade machines might. Maybe pinball machines. Mm. The Star Trek Next Generation pinball machine, the Adams Family pinball machine, and the Medieval Madness pinball machine. Those are three three goodies. Right. But then I'd be have to listen to pinball all night. So that'd be annoying. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, you could have a little room where you just go and play the arcade machines. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. I'm clear and tell, like, it would be all our lovely patrons, of course. Yep. Yep. Yeah, okay. So I think I'd go with, like, um, <laughs> I think I'd call it the Gentle Giants, my pub. And it'd be a picture oh, of me nice. and Matthew on the sign. Um, I'm not suggesting Matthew has to, like, go into business with me, but he can if he wants to. If you're in Bath, I don't like the idea of you just using my likeness without me being involved in the business. <laughs> well, you have a sign-off. I pay you a licensing fee, you know. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. Or I'll just, like, replace you with, like, a different large man who I know. I'll just do that instead. Uh, oh, man, we know loads. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we're games journalists in Bath, so. Um, yeah, so, the, yeah, the gentle giants go with that. Main clientele, if you're in Bath, your main clientele is old men, um, awful students, or... That's about it, really. Actually, there aren't many other people um, or irritating young professionals. That's basically like what you got. So I'd love to say that I'm going to reach some clientele that doesn't exist. But to be honest, I would have like a proper sort of like beer nerd pub. I, I do like you know mm. good beers and stuff, not just like five percent pale ales that taste like ass. And they're like, we we serve craft beer here, and it's like, no, you don't. It's just supermarket garbage. Anyway, enough of that. My um, pub only serves Pepsi Max. <laughs> um. <laughs> Pepsi Max and Pimble. Come on down. That's Come good. on down to the hunched wick. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Three arcade machines. Okay, um, 
police 24-7, so you can dodge bullets in that little chambery thing. Um, oh, yeah. Crazy Taxi, it's a classic. And, yeah. of course, Ghost Squad. Um, I know, <laughs> yes. Like, two... I know we got, like, two, like, gun games there, but Ghost Squad fucking rules, so you got to have Ghost Squad if you've got the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, wait, no, I'm taking Bat Please 24-7. I'm going with Star Wars Trilogy Arcade Machine. Oh, okay. So we're sorted. That's it now. That's the... Run the gamut there. Uh, video game characters, Matthew. I don't know. I don't want to, like, hire... Like, I don't want to, like, suggest anything by choosing, like, women from video games that, like, people might perceive as me being, like, or, you know, horny content, essentially. Uh, so should I just say, like, fucking Mario works there? I don't know. <laughs> I t- I t- I'd be good behind a bar, like a Garrus or a Thane from Mass Effect. Oh, that's great. Like a like this good Like, good trivia guide. Like, good low conversation. Kind of like, you know, pour me another, Garrus. I could see that working. Yeah, that's real good, actually. But Thane, pre- whatever goes on with his lungs in the last game yeah he's not dying over the course of like a no shift. i don't want that that would bum me out no that's a good call um i suppose i suppose i should like throw someone else into the mix there i might put um that like uh, mario. that <laughs> mario and that one armed guy um who like builds you that um, fake hand in sekiro he'd work there the dude who turns into spoiler alert the demon of hatred he he would be there <laughs> but he wouldn't turn into the demon of hatred until after his shift was over that's really important right but i think he's like that's... he's like a pretty good hangers from software go- characters go <laughs> that's what happens when you call time at the bar and you ring the bell he turns into the demon of hatred that would get all the students out <laughs> absolutely um so yes good i think that about covers it matthew um, i like the idea of a trip advisor review where the title of it is like <laughs> nice ambience didn't like the demon of hatred <laughs> yeah perfect i should just call the pub the demon of hatred really but um, <laughs> the, i like the idea of it, a pub called the gentle giants ends in that form that would be um that'd be quite good <laughs> thank you for your question matthew do you want to read that next one uh, next up from Ian Welby. Hello, chaps. Nice quick one. Is making your own podcast starting to change how you listen to other podcasts? You've discussed how games being your job has affected gaming in your free time, but are you finding yourself listening to podcasts with a more analytical ear? Uh, so I think that, like, I, I try not to listen to too many gaming podcasts because I, I worry about their thoughts infiltrating my thoughts and then me passing off their observations as my own. So mm. I try and keep it fairly pure. That's not to say I don't appreciate the work that other people do with theirs. But I definitely listen, like me and Matthew are both in the same position of being like slightly too obsessed with those Ringer podcasts. Um, yeah. So The Watch and Big Picture, Rewatchables, stuff we talked about before. And certainly like they, I think they have affected this pod in the sense that like they, they've kind of, as the longer they've gone on, the more and more relaxed and sort of familiar they've become with each other and leaning into their bullshit more and more. And I think that's definitely like affected this podcast a bit, which was a bit more when we started, a bit more down the line, here's what we're talking about kind of thing. Um, mm. But, you know, we try not to make it too too sort of like off topic or whatever. Um, I also like, I like listening to podcasts and sort of seeing if there's ideas we can crib, like do games versions of different ideas, I suppose. Mm. Um, or sort of like, yeah, listening out for just like types of guests or ways you can sort of like um change up the formula so i suppose the answer is yes matthew what about you yeah i'd, I'd, I'd say same um like i maybe don't listen to as many game podcasts just because i don't want my life to be games 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 all the time um i don't know a lot of the podcasts i listen to they have such sort of distinct personalities involved and people who it's very very hard to like replicate or necessarily like learn from them they just are who they are and I think the secret to a lot of podcasting is just to plug in the right person and let them do their thing. Mm. Um, but 
Yeah, like, um, I've been listening a lot to Simon Parkin's podcast recently, My Perfect Console, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting to me. Maybe maybe less so, like, to copy in this podcast, um, but to hear Simon, like, interview someone every week because Simon's a very prolific interviewer of game developers. It's not something I've had heaps of experience doing. So, you know, I, I maybe listen to that with an analytical uh, ear more for kind of stealing interview technique and ways he gets of like opening up and where he pushes people and where he doesn't um yeah i've really been enjoying that so um do you do you feel like we're the dinosaurs and he's the meteor when it comes to games podcast matthew (laughs) no it's 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 such a different vibe like his is like a tight hour very like very focused Um, i wonder what that's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah um no, we're we're very different things, and I know that Simon's Simon's a fan of our podcast too. So you know, I don't I don't see us as sort of competition at all. No, no, it's not at all. It's good. It's it's a really really good pod. Um, he's he's talked to some really interesting people, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing who he has on next. Yeah, absolutely. He's he put so much work into the guests and stuff, and you know, he's doing two episodes a week through all of April. That's impressive. He's like generating actual news headlines from his interviews as well. Yeah, like the, the yeah. Jake. That Jake Solomon episode was. Great. Jake, someone seems like such a nice guy. I really, really hope whatever he does next is a success. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's uh, it's interesting. I've played a bit of um, Marvel's Midnight Suns, and it is, like, a cool game. But it also is the most I've played a game and thought this feels like someone's, not vanity project, but passion project, you know? It's such an unusual right. way to do a licensed game. Like, it's nothing like any other licensed game. It feels like sheer force of will brought it to life because such a strange mixture of you know kind of life simmy stuff and then the you know the turn-based action um yeah yeah it's such an unusual thing like it's one of the weirdest big games like in the last 10 years for sure um yeah quite, quite unusual but yeah. i think i think they really nobbled it with that terrible cover-up oh really that's interesting just um, the characters standing and looking shadowy and dark. It looks the game looks like it's going to be super serious. Where actually, it's probably like the most sort of Saturday morning cartoon superhero game there has been for a long time. Yeah, it kind of looks a bit. A lot of the art makes it look quite Halloweeny and horrorish, um, which is, I suppose, like yeah. a way to set it apart from like Avengers or whatever. But yeah, it's 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 such a yeah such an unusual specific thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's cool. It's cool. Um, so yeah, yeah, Simon's podcast. I'm sure all our listeners are checking it out at this point, Matthew. It seems like it's mm. doing really well. Good for him. Um, next question, Matthew. Shall I read this one out? Mm. It's from Cyrano. Um, big Sammy Productions and Matthew Castle Holdings have, really, have received a big injection of cash and you both decide to make games inspired by your time as print games journalists. What do these games look like? A point-and-click adventure, PC gamer tycoon. How would you translate those experiences into game form? Unless you wouldn't because it's a shit idea, in which case, sorry. Um, I did actually, like, when I was on PC Gamer, I got halfway through making a Twine game called Deadline about the decisions you make at Deadline and the things that can go wrong. Um, but it was a bit too, like, arch and self-indulgent and it annoyed me, the content of it, so I just ditched it, um, which is what I do with all my creative projects. Um, but I don't know, Matthew, what, do you have an answer to this one? Uh, in terms of catching like my day-to-day experience as like a staff writer, which would probably be the most interesting perspective, because um, otherwise it becomes a management game, and I wouldn't really like that. Um, I did a lot of like writing to music. I could see there being like a touch-type rhythm game about trying to get stuff, but set only to uh, 
the selection of the Super Smash Brothers Brawl soundtrack that I'd uh, ripped off the internet and onto my work PC. Right. So it would be like only music from Sonic and Metal Gear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because that's what was on my PC for a long time. That's good. I like the idea. It's like, it's like a typing of the dead, essentially. But uh, yeah, yeah, typing yeah. of the dead, but set to that that tune from Sonic Heroes. Okay, nice. Uh, wow, what an unusual choice that is. Um, and I really like like that's that's the period I really got into those. Um, I don't know if they are good or bad, but the the croony lady singing Metal Gear tunes are they widely held as good? Yeah, I think so. Like the um, Calling to the Night from whichever one that was from. Was Snake Eater in there as well? I'm assuming so. Yeah. yeah, calling to the night. Yeah, I don't know about that one, but the best is yet to come. I'm a big fan of. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's real good. Uh, I really like those. Yeah, they're real good. So yes, uh, I guess piece of game of tycoon might be quite fun. I like the idea of doing something like game dev story, but with um, like sort of uh, you know print media or something. You got to combine different types of articles and see how the magazine sells. Something <laughs> like touch like that might I, be good. I also you don't could do something where it, instead of a like the you treat the cover like the Resident Evil inventory. You've got a number of slots to put like objects and stories on there to try and like make a cover and sell. That could be fun. Yeah, that'd be good. I, I suppose like the truth of it is, I don't think my life is interesting enough to like make someone pay to read about it. Like or like play a game that you sort of understand it. Listening to a free podcast. Someone, someone that's should fine. try telling indie developers that. <laughs> So, like, me telling bullshit stories in this podcast is one thing. You don't have to pay for it. You can pay for it, but you don't have to. Um, but to play a video, a commercially released video game of it, I couldn't do it, man. My life my life just isn't interesting enough. So, yeah, uh, I think we answered that one, Matthew. Um, hmm. Do you want to read the next one? This is from KH2698. Good day. You've been given the opportunity to voice a character in an animated video game film. What is the game your film is based on, and what character do you voice? I really don't want any more adaptations of games. Like, even though I know there have been quote unquote good ones now, I'm still not interested. I just don't care. <laughs> mm. uh, so, I'm a bit of grump there, aren't I? I should just pick one. Um, okay, I wouldn't mind voicing, like, if they did, like, Final Fantasy VII as, like, a you know, like an animated movie. I guess, like, they kind of did with Advent Children. I wouldn't mind playing Red 13, the little dog guy. I'd do that. What? <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say. Well, I'm not going to be Barrett, am I? You know what I mean? I thought you'd be, like, Biggs or Wedge. <laughs> Oh, that's a great shout. I'd be both. I'd do both. That'd be good. Um, or like, I'd be Biggs and uh, and Wedge in um, Final Fantasy VIII because they are, if he adapted that into an animated film, that would be quite fun for me to voice both of them. The, the one in charge would sound like this. And the one who doesn't know what he's doing would sound like this. I'd maybe do that or something. <laughs> Unbearable for the audience. But... Very versatile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You just call me if you want me to do voiceover work. Uh, what about you, Matthew? I don't know. Like, there's no... Ca- I think there's... It- there's no character I'd improve with my voice, that's for sure. It's not a, it's not a, like a luscious voice to listen to. I am aware of this. Maybe like like Phoenix Wright. I could I think I could voice the um the Winston Payne who you smash in all the tutorial cases. That's great. That's a great show. Like the, the slightly nerdy stressed out guy who loses his wig. That would be me. That's real good. I like that. Um, I think I could probably do an all right job with um, Gumshoe actually. I'd be okay at that. Oh yeah. Just a bit a bit He's a bit too good looking for me to play him, really. But like, <laughs> but sort of certainly being like a, a bit of a dimwit who's quite endearing. I think I could pull that off. But yeah, I'd, if I made a live action film, I'd cast Carl Chandler as Gumshoe. Oh, dear. I think he's got a bit too much gravitas. But you know, I'd, I'd like to see it done. Certainly. He's got the right build and face shape, though. Fuck. I mean, maybe it's just turn this podcast into casting that entire Phoenix Wright movie. Who plays Phoenix Wright, Matthew? 
Oh, that is hard. Obviously, Florence Pugh playing uh, Maya Faye. <laughs> oh, or ha- um, Hayley, uh, what's the face, I guess, Steinfeld. J.K. Simmons would be the judge. Fuck yes, that's good. Uh, Phoenix Wright's very, very hard. I think you probably need to find a newcomer. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you're right. I would have, like, when he was still alive, I would have had Uncle Phil from The Fresh Prince as the judge. Like, de- Oh, nice. Like, definitely. Um, and I, I would have, like, suggested that it was the same character from The Fresh Prince, but not said it outright. Uh, uh, for, for Miles Edgeworth, who's that, um... Is it Billy Magnuson? Oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He could be that. He's got that sort of smarminess to him. Yeah, absolutely. He's uh yeah, okay, good. We've we've done yeah, that. Yeah, that was niche. Yeah, that was niche. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh from this one's from Sam Walker 2312. Um long-time listener, first-time writer. Love the podcast and everything you do. My question is simple. What is the worst Mario power-up? My money is on the spring from Galaxy Games, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Uh Matthew is probably the best one to hear ask about this. Uh, I'm spring from galaxies is incorrect. Um, that thing, once you actually get into it, the sense of it coiling up, the tactility of unleashing it, that is a good power-up. One of the better power-ups, I'd go as far as to say. Oh, I actually don't like the ice-flowering Mario Galaxy much. Right. Which is the one which puts the sort of hexagons of ice under you and lets you walk across water. Um, it plays quite an annoying bit of music. Not to be confused with just Mario ice skating on normal ice. That's amazing. But Ice Flower from Galaxy, I'm not crazy into. Most of them are pretty classic. Yeah, let's stick stick with that. Um, Okay, good. So, um, this one's (laughs) for you to read out, Matthew. Uh, This is from Koi again. This is an incredibly inside baseball type question prompted by the great episode with Neil Long. He mentioned that the best-selling O&M in his time was one with Sonic's face on the cover and how that informed a future cover choice. To what extent did you track sales on a monthly basis and how did that inform future editorial and art choices? Or was it just quite hard to discern why one mag sold better than the next month's? Oh, um, <laughs> mag sales are why I stopped working in print media. <laughs> Uh, if I never had that information, I would have been a very happy man. But I did have that information, and it made me very unhappy. So that's that's genuinely why I left um, PC Gamer Print and went to work online. I just couldn't could not look at data anymore that you can't control. It's just not good for you to do that. So he's trying to like divine secret code from these numbers. Yeah, and literally no one ever has. What about the move over XXX <laughs> topline format? That's a proven winner. That's true. Yeah, I did use it to to make to inform choices, but but probably too many times, and I wish i hadn't i wish i just like made what i thought was best as opposed to what i thought would sell well like that's i genuinely think that because ultimately the mag being the mag being good is what matters like not and like pleasing your core audience as opposed to fighting for like um some kid who might be in wh smith and go oh look there's a picture of an at on this cover i'm gonna go buy it you know what i mean so that's how i feel about it in retrospect it's like there's just make a good magazine man you know what i mean yeah yeah um so agreed okay good um I think actually the time I used numbers more than anything was when I joined OXM because I just had no feel for what an Xbox mag was going to need to be successful and what was successful. And I I had a big sheet of paper which had all the OXM covers... And maybe their closest rivals and the, the, the numbers for the sales that month to see if I could, like, extract trends from it. That's probably when I was most into it. You know, on Nintendo mags, you had a natural feel for, like, you know, obviously put Mario on the cover. Um, and I think it's those broad decisions that really do it rather than, like, I don't believe a, a, a great hit in the bottom right corner is going to change anyone's minds. 
Um, no. But uh, on LXM, I, I needed it as a crutch more than anything because I was like, I, I don't know what's successful on Xbox mags. Like, I inherited that mag out of nowhere. So that was the best I could do, really. Yeah. This is me reading it out, Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. From Blinky. Uh, okay, so this is from Blinky. Other players are the worst, and nobody that's anybody plays multiplayer anymore. But that said, what are some of your favourite instances of multiplayer griefing and shenanigans, either that you witnessed, suffered, or perpetrated? Anything particularly creative or memorable come to mind? I remember I was playing this game Pavlov once, right? And there's this fucking idiot with a revolver trying to reload, and then like <laughs> I just watched him get annihilated with an AK-47. It's great. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Griefing and shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been good enough at a game to be able to grief or pull off shenanigans. No, that's it. I don't know about shenanigans, but certainly there have been times where I've like, definitely in Apex Legends, where I feel like I've stolen uh, victories. Like um, killing, there's like balloons you can um, use in Apex Legends, and to get up them, you have to like skirt up this rope really rapidly. Your character does it automatically. But while the other character's on the ground, they can shoot at you while using those ropes. And I did kill someone who was ascending using those ropes. And because he was the last in his squad, he went down straight away. That felt amazing to do that. Mm. But I don't know about griefing, man. I, I don't really grief. Um, certainly, like, oh, there was like um, the thing that happened to me that was quite funny is when I was trying to complete a, <laughs> a GTA Online mission in like a hot air balloon. And someone just like very slowly pulled up next to me in a flying, uh, flying motorcycle, and then just like very gradually just like lobbed um, remote ex- explosives onto my um, uh, <laughs> onto my airship, and then just like drove away, waited like one minute, and then detonated them, and then the mission was over. And that was like admirably awful bit of griefing, you know. I felt like Colonel Kurtz talking about that guy who cut off all those arms, like. You know, it was terrible, but I got to admire it at the same time. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully that's <laughs> nice. it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Want to read the next one, Matthew? Oh, actually, I had an online griefing thing. Oh, yeah? When I was in secondary school, we used to play this browser, this, like, epic space browser-based game. I think it was called Planetarian, where basically everyone had a planet and you were part of solar systems and you were, like, building up resources and, like, sometimes all the planets would get together and, like raid another solar system and fuck people up and i played it and a couple of my school friends played it um and i was always creating duplicate like fake accounts to try and talk to my friends as like pretending to be strangers to see if i could get like the inside line on what they were plotting right. so that they wouldn't fuck me over <laughs> wow that is wild so i'd be like out of nowhere be like hey you look like you've got a good planet <laughs> Like, do you want to be friends? <laughs> and, like, just approaching them. <laughs> they always sleep through it. I was not a very uh, successful conniver. Uh, but, yeah, I was always trying to, like, fuck my best friends over in Planetarium because um, they'd do it to me, but without without cheating. <laughs> I was such a rat when I was 14. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. That's actually um, reminded me as well that, like, the... Uh... There was, I definitely talked about this on the podcast before, but the Daisy game we had where we were on the front page of Twitch and so everyone came on to try and stream snipe us. So we were this, right. we were trying to get from one side of the map to the other. It's like a little goal we set ourselves for a diary feature. And um, basically, yeah, everyone, everyone, thousands of people were watching and then like everyone who could get to us like came after us. And it was like a proper sort of like, yeah, just hunting us down 
in this map. And then in the midst of it, like we met some random girl who was very polite, and then one of her, like one of our party, killed her. Um, like, and, and it was just like it was like a proper sort of like narrative in motion. It sort of illustrated why people like those survival games in a really sort of like you know straightforward kind of like oh i get this we just created a whole narrative here um that was yeah. really exciting and funny we did all like die I mean, at the end. It, it helped that you had like a legit war criminal in your group <laughs> yeah absolutely that was certainly part of it but uh yeah some good ones there matthew i think um just think about you pretending to be different people in planetaria that's really fucked up that's what you do when you're a teenager though just strange yeah things. that's you know all that kind of stuff i was always making fake email accounts and like trolling people i was a real asshole <laughs> okay. um this one is from personal nadir Good day, gentlemen of extraordinary height. Apologies for the melancholy tinge to this question, but I think it can also be viewed as celebratory. One day, someday soon, I'll sunset my trusty PS4 Pro and play the final game on it. It'll probably be the Shadow of the Colossus remake, as of the games I'm yet to play, that might make for a nice denouement. For some of the consoles you've owned, what would be the last choice of last game to play on them before packing them away for the final time? So your last console supper right well the last game i did play on my ps4 was pt because you can only play it on there so that felt appropriate to play the one game oh. that's like trapped on that system um before i let my dad have my ps4 pro i, I played pt like one more time just to be like yeah once more around the corridor i, I say once like fucking 80 times around the corridor um yeah that was <laughs> your, your dad picked it up is he playing it now <laughs> i'm more worried he's hears just... him whispering jareth jareth <laughs> from his room <laughs> I'm more worried he's just fucking deleted it to make room for, like, COD World War Two or something. So <laughs> <laughs> that's more of a concern to me, I'll be honest, Matthew. Um, yeah, so that's a good one. But I don't know, I don't know about final games, because I just tend to keep consoles forever and keep playing them, really. Yeah. So it would be kind of more symbolic than anything. If it was PS2, I guess it'd have to be something like Onimusha 2 or GTA 3 or something like that. Metal Gear Solid yeah. 3, you know? What about you? PS3 has to be Metal Gear Solid 4. <laughs> yeah, that or like something really random like um, 3D Dot Heroes. I suppose you could also, people might say the original Demon Souls on there. I don't know. But right. yeah, Resistance 2, Matthew. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, just one of the many brown games. Um, yeah, that, so what Nintendo consoles? Anything come to mind? What would be the last game to play on the Wii? What did you last play on your GameCube? Maybe you remember that. Maybe it's Resi 4. And it was more likely to be like a final round of Mario Kart Double Dash, right, right, and then throwing away the pod in a, uh, the pad in a rage because <laughs> someone took my own balloons from me in the in the balloon battle um, was how how that tended to play out. Right, it was it was probably that. Okay, that's good. Uh, it would be better like the last game you actually want to play on GameCube is like the Twilight Princess GameCube version. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's that's a proper full stop on it. And it's also like a very sort of autumnal game. It's about the end of something. It's, you know, that's right. DS, the last game you should play on your DS is uh, is uh, the sequel to Hotel Dusk, Glass Window, in which his apartment block is slowly shutting down. That's about the end of an era as well. That's a, that's a perfect sign-off game for a machine. That's a good shout. Um, like, I suppose, like, I, I, if I did this for the PSP, I'd probably say that, like, it should probably be God of War Ghost of Sparta or something, because that was, again, like a very late generation sort of game. But if I was to pick something that was more in the sort of vein of what the PSP represented, it would probably be the original version of Crisis Core, Final Fantasy VII, or Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, you know, things mm. that really showed what 
that handheld could do when it was at its best. So those might be good. Um, you should uh, you should finish PSP by mashing that button to tear yourself away from your daughter at the end of God of War. <laughs> you should abandon your child as the final act of PSP. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, on um, for Xbox 360, it's got to be Wolverine Origins um, Uncaged Edition. It has to be that, frankly. <laughs> uh, that's good. It's a good answer. Feed a man in some rotor blades. <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, uh, this one, Betamax Bandit. If you guys were video game bosses, what would your name be? You know, the long-winded Dark Souls ones. So I guess like oh. Samuel something of something. Um, yeah. Matthew something of something. Yeah, I don't know. Um, what was the like Lord of... Uh, we've talked about it many times. There was, there was, there's Rickard, Lord of Blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it would be like... I'd be like Samuel gout-ridden kingslayer something like that i oh, think okay. just a very nice. a slightly slightly obese uh, version of me um who just like very slowly swing a spear at you but then would have like some kind of bullshit attack where he'd like burp poison stuff at you and you got to get out of the way that's what they do in souls games isn't it and people are like fucking genius 10 out of 10 so yeah <laughs> i've been all. matthew the perspirating one <laughs> That's good. And my special move would be where I lean down, I hunch over and lean on one knee and shoot at you under low hanging <laughs> scenery. Yeah, you have to fight. You have to fight him in your pub, the hunched wick or whatever it is. That's that's good. Okay, good. I think we've answered that one. Um, we got Welsh boy Mick again here. In a wild turn of events, Bath has suddenly developed a deep interest in Blitzball. Oh my god! And you're in charge of the team. What's the team's name? What video game people do you sign up to play for you? What special <laughs> techniques do Sam and Matthew have? Right. I know fucking nothing about Blitzball, so I'm I'm out of this one. But I, I included it because I, I, you know, I like to hear you ruminate on yeah. Blitzball. So the, the team names are like, they're quite hard to replicate because there's like the Killica Beasts, the Besaid Oryx, the Luca Goers, the Ronso... Furies or something with the Guado Furies, so they're kind of like your typical sports names. Um, uh, the Bath Blowhards, we'll go with that. Um, what video game people do you sign up to play for you? Uh, I'd, I'd like just fill a Wanyuk account, he seems like he's in good shape, he can come play Blitzball, I guess. You've got to throw a ball underwater, it's fucking hard, man. Um, so <laughs> I guess him, he can come along, Mario, of course, um, bring him along. Um, and yes, I would again bring my uh, from my bar. Um, the uh, demon of hatred man um, he'd come along too um, I don't know uh, it's tough like all those all the people it's like very good looking um, people who live in the, who might live in the Caribbean other who like tend to play Blitzball on the human side in that game um, and I yeah I don't know I'm not sure man I guess I'd like bring Tina some Final Fantasy 10 he seems pretty good and he's like used to playing Blitzball in like other universes um, wow. So this, like the special techniques, that's a tough one. In the game, you basically just have variants of different shots and things like that. Um, Tedious has got the jet shot. The magic of that is like um, when he does a shot, instead of like having to go through two defenders, he can boot the ball and punch the ball at two defenders, get them out of the way, and then take a direct shot on goal. That's pretty decent. I think my my special move would be um, I I, I'm, I take like a slightly better shot. If you let me um, sort of like uh, take a Renith, my like acid reflux first. If I do that, then I'm, nice. I, I get like a plus one shoot bonus. So that would be mine, basically. It'd be Renny shots. That's what it'd be called. That's the technique. Nice. Uh, Doesn't anyone ever wee in the arena? <laughs> it doesn't come up, I'll be honest. Um, okay. But like, I wouldn't rule it out, basically. There are like 
like some beasts in there too. So you know, I, no one's. <laughs> oh, you can't trust a beast not to piss. <laughs> well, that's it. Would a like would a would a Ronzo take a shit in the, in the arena? I'm not sure because they're like they're like big dog people, so they might do. <laughs> Again, doesn't come up. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. Just not like you get to the end of the game and then there's just like a bunch of turds at the bottom of the big sphere. Well, they play well, blitzball in. Well, it's like swimming pools where they have that chemical that changes colour if someone wees. <laughs> so <laughs> just be following one of the beasts around and everyone be like, oh boo. <laughs> Just like inspired by distinct memories of being a kid going to my local swimming pool, which is called St. Vincent's, and that someone's blowing a whistle and screaming, Get out! A kid's just had a poo! (laughs) (laughs) And that happening like more than once. And then, like, the pool is shut now because a one kid, one like four year old, took a dump in the the pool. Very strange. (laughs) At my swimming lessons, I remember they used to have um, down the side of the pool, there were these like fake. Sort of plastic tropical plants right. um, surrounded by pebbles, and if you if you threw a small brown pebble into the swimming pool through the water distortion, that would look like a poo on the bottom of the <laughs> pool. And you should chuck those in and tell people it was a poo. <laughs> <laughs> this is like your that game you were playing, it, but with um, but in a swimming pool, Matthew. What's it called? Like. <laughs> Galaxarian or something. I don't know. It's planetary. Like planetarian, that's it. Uh, so you don't get this chat on Simon Parkin's podcast, do you? <laughs> it's very specific. <laughs> this to is us. why we'll never be guests. Uh, exactly, yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question um, with three hours sleep. That's the best I can do uh, for Blitzball. I should have given that more time and thought. But I think the Bath Blowhards works quite well. Um, yeah, we'll see you in Luca in 2024 for our first game. Me, Phil Awanyuk, the Demon of Hatred, and Tidus from Final Fantasy X. So that's good. Okay. Good... You want to read this next one, Matthew? Yeah, this is from Bob Bob. In a different, less cursed Discord than this one, someone who was new to playing games was surprised how easily she was able to avoid plot spoilers. Is the gaming community generally better at not spoiling video game plots? Does this matter in games as much as it does in film? Does it even matter at all? Cheers for what you do, lads. There are so, um, there are so few like big twists in games to spoil. It feels like this is... Like for example, how would someone spoil Norco for you? Do you know what I mean? Like it's you just you just play it and enjoy it, but someone could spoil Kotor for you quite easily. Um, so I feel like yeah. the the big twists get a lot of chatter, but I don't think there are enough twists for that to ever really be a massive problem. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true, and I guess what counts as a spoiler is maybe like, oh, I didn't want to see that that character's in it, or that they go to this place, mm. or you know, like. In, in Mario, it's a spoiler to see what later levels look like a little bit. You know, if someone put up the, the last level of Mario Galaxy before he played Mario Galaxy, I'd be pretty pissed off. Um, yeah. There used to be a games journalist, incidentally, who was quite infamous for printing pictures of the last bosses in his review just to prove that he got to them. Wow. Yeah. I mean... So... What a knob! <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they listen to this, but... No, it's sort of they're too busy spoiling like fucking Resident Evil 4 remakes epilogue for someone, you know, so don't worry about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, so I don't think it matters that much. I'm not, nah. I, I agree with you, like it is more about like levels and stuff like that. I don't want to see bits of an open world, you know what I mean? Like I, I considered mm. it a spoiler seeing bits of Elden Ring on Twitter, for example, but I don't think anyone can even explain to me in terms of I understand what's happening in Elden Ring. So yeah, yeah. like Matthew says, the, more the about... The good thing yeah. about twitter being like totally fucked now is that it's very very hard for these big surges of like spoilers to happen Mm. because it's just too awkward a service to use and it's not like 
my feed seems to give me all the tweets from the people that I follow anyway. Yeah. So it's actually like cutting out a lot of bad content for me. <laughs> Thank you, Elon Musk. <laughs> also, like the, the the landscape of what people are up to now is so fractured compared to where it was even like five years ago, where someone could just like spoil Game of Thrones, like and be like, oh yeah, this guy dies. Uh, and that would happen at like nine a.m. on a Monday, and it fucking mm. stank. I hated it when people did that. Um, <laughs> But now that doesn't happen as much because I know I don't think everyone I know watches Succession, you know, and I don't think everyone I know watches, you know, maybe you get some like Mandalorian spoilers or something. But there's not as much of a monoculture now, you know. Only bright people watch watch Succession, and bright (laughs) people don't spoil his stuff. Uh, Whereas only only dubbies watch uh, the Mandalorian, Matthew. Is that the uh, that's a takeaway (laughs) here? Um, Yeah, okay. Read into that what you will. That's it. We should start calling ourselves the Disgusting Brothers. I think that would really work for us. Um, okay, uh, are we done? Next one, Angry Kurt. Hi, gents. Having just caught up with the MCU ranking XXL episode, oh god, I wanted to ask uh, roughly commiserations. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, can you believe we charged for that? That's unbelievable. I wanted to ask roughly where you'd rank the films which have come out since you recorded the episode that you've watched that you uh, that you've watched since then. The films that we've watched since then. After hearing Samuel's hopes and enthusiasm for Thor: Love and Thunder on that episode, I imagine he does not like what that film became. I.e., another YTT joke fest. Um, I have not watched a single bit of MCU content since we recorded that episode. I got it. Nice. I, like, I, I, I'm out. I'm just done with it. And an episode so good it killed all enthusiasm for it. <laughs> when I saw that people were saying that Love and Thunder was worse than um, Ragnarok, I was like, "There's no reasons for me to watch this. It's not, not essential." And it's, it just sounded rough from what people are saying. And MCU's has had a weird time since the pandemic. The obviously the Spider-Man film was was really good. But it's just like the also ran content has turned into the entire project, which is something yeah. they need to course correct from. And their main villain is now in some real life, um, has some real life crime stuff to deal with uh, at the time of recording. So, you know, it's not looking so rosy at the, at the moment. Matthew, you, you've kept up with it, though, haven't you? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I Just to be part of the conversation, really. Um, even though you're the only person I talk to about this stuff. <laughs> so I've let, really let you down here, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, no, they've all been terrible. Um, <laughs> universally terrible. Um, I'd say since we recorded that episode, I thought, oh yeah, Love and Thunder was just atrocious. That's 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 one of the worst MCU films by some distance. The stuff with the screaming joke, uh, goat meme in that is just offensively shit. Um, <laughs> Ant-Man looked terrible. Um Black Panther Wakanda Forever was it was really really messy but it had some its heart was in the right place in places but it has a huge huge leading man shaped hole in the middle of it that just can't do anything about sadly no Um, that's tough yeah just bad just a lot of bad films really yeah I couldn't bring myself I just couldn't bring myself to watch Black Panther for that reason it's just uh, you know I wish them the best with you know but it's just nah I'm sorry Uh, he was was so good and they don't have many actors left of that quality now you know like legitimately and this isn't being a contrarian but like The Eternals is looking stronger and stronger with every film that I see it has a it has a sense of identity that these films just don't yeah and um if we were to re-rank them I'd probably put it fucking high <laughs> yeah we got told that someone said that was like our worst take in the in the no, it isn't our worst that's that's one of the takes I most believe in <laughs> yeah I agree like it's it's it tries to do something different which these films never do and yeah. now look where it's got them. It's got them into like they're not making money now. They're losing money, 
and people are dunking on them. But they're they're just they're as bad now as they've ever been. Like at their worst, they're just people mm. have just finally fucking noticed because there's been about forty of them. So. Yeah, mm. I agree. Like, Eternals does not entirely work, but it's a big swing. No. And that's why, you know, we admire that here on this podcast. You know, we love a swing. The, the wacky 7 out of 10. Um, so, yes, that's... Uh, it's yeah. disgusting, brothers indoors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. I hope that was helpful, Kurt. Uh, Matthew, I guess you put them all towards the bottom, right? Like, it's, you know, it's none of it's yeah. getting near the top. Um, yeah, it's like these films can be good, but they have to actually, like, make good films. That's not too tall in order um yeah and they've i not i'm not i'm not feeling much optimism for what's coming up to be honest like i'm not totally convinced a like a captain marvel sequel is going to turn it around and i don't know if they've got the roster for like a good avengers film uh no offense to those actors Ooh. still doing it uh, they don't care what i think anyway let's move on um uh so do you read this one matthew uh this is from melmer he says now that the dust is settled uh whereabouts oh, now that the dust is settled whereabouts would you place god of war ragnarok in your god of war ranking do you think that with time it'll get reevaluated and given a critical kicking a la bioshock infinite uh-huh. and what the fuck was that squirrel about uh, uh yeah i think uh, did this not come up previously like i've not finished it still honestly like it's not um i just didn't quite Really, I don't really love it enough to keep going. I will go back to it. It's on my list mm. of like games to tick off. Still, um, I'm actually incidentally, um, Cyberpunk. I'm actually like ticking off all of the big side quests I missed, and that's been quite fun actually. Um, oh, no, I've been playing a bit of that on PS5 actually. Oh no, it looks real um, nice on PS5, doesn't it? It's good. Oh, it looks great. It's very shiny. Yeah, very nice. I'm finally doing like the Judy side quests. I feel like that at that point, uh, I feel like I've completed the game. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're real good. Those character side quests. Um, yeah, I think that Ragnarok goes below probably... So I think we did it... So I think it was like God of War 2018, God of War 3. Oh, wait. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? God of War 3, yeah. and then God of War 2, and then God of War 1. I believe it's how we did it. So it would go between 1 and 2 for me. What about you? Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah. It's not like... It's like so much to admire about the production values of it. As an undertaking, it's quite incredible. Yeah. But it's just like... There's just something it something it loses. It's a bit too mainstreamified for me. I don't know. I don't, just in terms of like the storytelling and the tone of it, it's it's quite it's slightly off, you know. But mm. I will I will keep playing it. But um, sounds like you agree, Matthew. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sounds about right. All right. We've got two more questions. Do you want to read this next one? Yes. Matthew? Uh, this is from Sunny via email. Hello, Samuel and Matthew. One for the mailbag. Which do you enjoy killing more? Gods with inner life, or impoverished, nondescript young men from a Sao Paulo slum. Genuinely love the pod. Long may it continue. Okay. Sao Paulo slum. Is that Max Payne 3? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't really enjoy killing the dudes in Sao Paulo as such. Um, you know, I do. I did enjoy firing guns in slow motion. This is a very loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not like I, I don't take great pleasure in killing um, people who've been pushed into a line of life of crime, which I think is kind of what's suggested by Max Payne three. Gods. I mean, it's obviously it's more fun to kill gods with uh, in a life, Matthew, um, as evidenced yeah. by the God of War series, which we just mentioned. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I will always rather kill a god than an impoverished person. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Like, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I. I worry to meet the person who preferred it the other way around to be honest yeah good to have that on the record though isn't it so uh yeah yeah final question then from jack 
Um, thank you for producing such a great podcast. You guys are the only podcast have convinced me to pay to subscribe. On which note, as a gamer of a similar age to you, I can remember a time when game piracy was rife, especially the PS1 and DS. Now it seems like the last two generations have fixed the issue for all but the most ardent pirates. Um, how big an issue do you feel piracy at the time uh, were for us in game mags? And what are your thoughts on the emulation scene now? Do you have a cutoff, e.g. a term of age... Uh, in terms of age or availability, after which you will no longer judge someone for playing a ROM or their naughty Android handheld. That's a deliberate reference to me there, I think. Um, keep up the great podcasting. Um, I'm always keen to hear your thoughts on this, Matthew, because I think we fall slightly differently on this. Not massively, but a little bit. Yeah, I mean, on on the subject of games magazines, like, obviously everyone knew what it was like on DS, and it was rife. We were a magazine that covered a lot of import games, did I think during my time on the magazine that everyone is going to be buying these games? You know, are we providing a service for solid importers? I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, I think it was so rife. You, you had an understanding of kind of what, what people were doing with these these uh, recommendations you were giving them. Thoughts on the emulation scene now? I do believe in preservation, which, you know, is at the heart of a lot of these projects. Um, I have... You know, personally, no, no problem with any of that stuff. Um, in terms of like cut off, I mean, I just think if stuff's available, um, you should always try. But that's personally, like, I'm not a big pirate guy. Like, I'd never have been. Um, I'm just a, a very earnest square in that sense. Um, I've got friends who do. I don't judge them too harshly. What I always say in the Discord is, I don't like people who like rub it in people's faces as if to say, ha ha. You know, you're so dumb for buying stuff when I get it for free. I think that's really, really obnoxious. You know, I'll always have time for people who want to kind of invest properly in these things. And that's the perspective I'd rather hear about. Um, yeah, I'm not. As I've said. Yeah, sorry. As I've said before, have a little bit of shame. Uh, <laughs> it's OK, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that like I, I echo that is people are like, oh, I'm not going to be playing X Switch game on my uh, on my Switch. I'm going to play on my Steam Deck with a high frame rate or whatever. And it's like, well. I don't agree with that because um, I, mean, I want to support the industry. So, you know, it's important to do that. Um, so, yeah, I don't agree with that. I, I would say cut off for me is like, I think I agree with Matthew. If it's not commercially available, I'm not saying download it, but I'm saying that like there's more of a justification for it. Um, certainly without the without emulation, I don't know what would even be left of like the PS2 generation at this point because mm. it's been so poorly maintained by almost everyone. So... You know, while it is nice to see GameCube remakes popping up here or there, um, you know, what if they never decided to remake those stuff? And there's still so many games they haven't remade. So, I don't know, man. It's it's tough because I don't know if you're really taking anything from people when you you emulate those games. Because if there was enough of a financial interest for them to actually like bring it back to you in some form, as Nintendo has with the um, Switch Online service and the Virtual Console, then they would. Um, if they haven't, it's either because of like licensing issues or because they don't want to because they've got new games to release, you know, where there's more money in it. So I don't know. And it feels like piracy's sort of been left to 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 kind of like run and run without too much interference on that side. It's different when they're more modern games, but I don't think Sony is going out of the way to tell people not to download PS2 games. I don't think they really mm. care. I think some of the stuff is even on like archive.org now because it technically counts as preservation. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Really, it's like it, the the preservation side of it is is perfectly good. In terms of like game mags, I don't I don't know if that really had an effect, but certainly like the PSP and the DS in the <clears throat> in the in their latter years, like games stopped selling as well because they were so easy to pirate. 
Um, and that definitely hit those manufacturers and probably did like have a knock-on effect for the 3DS and PS Vita of being like less supported because publishers in that last bit of the generation saw that like you know God of War Ghost of Sparta was getting pirated a lot more than it was getting bought um, or GTA Chinatown Wars same on DS like I think that's where it had a knock-on effect it, it maybe like affected the next generation of those handhelds which didn't have as many games to play on them um, I don't know if you have any th- mm. further thoughts there Matthew yeah, no, I mean, I thought, yeah, I, th- I think you definitely saw that, and you just saw people losing interest as as a direct result. Yeah, sorry, I don't really have a much deeper take than that. <laughs> no, that's it, really. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a bum note to end the pod, pod on there. Uh, um, no, no, I think that, like, yeah, I I don't judge people. I, I think, like, I know so many people now have like naughty Android handhelds, and yeah, they're never like for you'd never catch me like you know, like ever emulating like a ps4 game or whatever i'm not interested in switch games i haven't even like done the thing with my 3ds to make it sort of piratey or whatever and i'm not saying i judge people who do but i'm just like i don't know i feel like it's just it's just like the older i I guess the better i feel about it you know yeah yeah. okay the podcast is done matthew thank you very much for listening to this like rambly uh what we've been playing such mailbag but i think it was pretty good apart from the bits where i was utterly incoherent due to my lack of sleep where can people find you on social media matthew I'm at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. As mentioned, the free feed, we're taking a quick break next week, but we're debuting our monthly mini-series PC Gaming Classics, which has already been rolling out on the Patreon, so you get to enjoy the first episode of that. Then we'll roll out the second episode and third episodes in the coming months. Um, So, yep, that should be good. But uh, we'll be doing Best Mario Moments this month and Best Guilty Pleasures on Patreon. uh, Patreon.com slash BackPagePod if you'd like to support us. Um, Best Games of 2015 this month too. The rest is still up in the air, but we'll tweet about it when we know exactly what we're doing. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.